and more foolishness, frivolity, and a side of shenanigans. And joining me, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you, the king of chaos, the monarch of mayhem, the royal rumbler himself, the great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again this big weekend, Rumble Royal 2023. And uh, uh, what is the, if they numbered it like WrestleMania, do you know off the top of your head how many royal? How many is this for Royal Rumbles? Oh, what did they? They said it on TV uh, on SmackDown last night. Is it thirty six? Was it thirty six? I can't. <laughs> they were the sheep herders. Thirty seven. Do you remember that when they were the sheep herders, Luke and Butch? And then later, well, later on, Luke would do it with Jonathan Boyd. Uh, but the the fucking guy doing a promo, especially Boyd, when he'd go, and we've been champions. In 37 different countries, and Luke would stick his head over Jonathan's shoulder with a big gap tooth where his teeth are missing and go, 37. Would they have worked in Memphis if they added Butch instead of Jonathan Boyd? Um, well, yes, they, because there, if you'd have had the Luke and Butch instead talk. of Luke and Jonathan, yeah. well, they, they wouldn't have had anything to compare it to. Um, Jonathan was a stronger promo of, of all three of them, you're right. Uh, but I think they, they it probably would have got across anyway, one way or the other. But never much like the Royal Rumble is going to get across this weekend. I don't want to. Do you have my corny crows sound effect anywhere close around? No, we haven't used that in like three years. Well, God thought I'd just call it audible, but I hate to. I hate to toot my own horn, but. <laughs> so. What did I say they were going to be doing when Vince came back? If Vince was going to mess with anything or involve himself in creative, it was going to be bring stars back. Stars, give me stars, maybe stars, find me stars. Where's the stars? How much do they cost? I'll pay it. And uh, obviously they've been talking to The Rock for three years about this, and it looks like that's not going to take place now. But they said the reports were they were talking to Austin. Uh, but Cena's going to be doing more. Brock's back. Uh, you know, Raw 30 was a celebration, but there was a lot of names. The names and the ratings for Raw 30, for all those, just to see those people wander out on the stage and screen and uh, and do practically nothing. More people watch that than what they're doing every week. But anyway, that's what... I think is the plan of Vince is now is get anybody who has ever been or can possibly be a name and uh, shoot the hot shot cannon for this sale. I wonder if if he could bring the Fullers in as a consultant on how to hot shot a territory right before you sell it. I mean, in a sense, you're right about Vince and what he would want on this show. But in another way, this is kind of. I don't know, standard fare for the beginning of the year for January and into the Royal Rumble. Usually there's a lot of guesses about what star will surprisingly show up or whatever it may be. 
I think there's a lot of them though, and they're they're bringing out the uh, the high price talent, the uh, the cream of the crop. Is it? But anyway, at least it's getting interesting uh, to see. Uh, well, we'll talk about that when we talk about that. We, you know, I'll tell you by, by the end of this week, there's going to be two things that I'm sick of: wrestling and myself. I'm I'm going to be tired of hearing me talk because we are recording this program today. <laughs> today, like everybody's sitting here in our pocket and knows it's Saturday, Saturday morning. We're recording this program today. Then we're and and folks later on we're going to talk about the Royal Rumble by the time you hear this because we're going to record the bulk of the program today and then break watch the Royal Rumble and then come back in the morning on Sunday morning and comment on that and issue this program out to the people the cult of Cornette and then Tuesday I'm doing I'll give you the cameo update here shortly folks but don't worry they're not going to be on sale by the time you hear my voice anymore uh but Tuesday a Hotchkiss Featherbottom is coming over to shoot cameos Wednesday you and I are going to do your program the drive through where there's big Hulk Hogan news we got people covering the Hogan beat we'll spring that on you this week and then Thursday I'm going to do the balance of the cameos that we are selling now right as we speak and then uh, Saturday, we're going to come back and do another edition of the experience. And in the mean, in the meantime, and in between time, we're going to be watching all of the week's television wrestling programs with great granular detail. So by next fucking Saturday afternoon, I'm going to be pissed off at my. What was Lawler's line? I had to, I had to quit because of. Illness and fatigue. People got sick and tired of me. I'm going to be sick and tired of myself. Are you going to be sick and tired of me, Brian? Oh, we're long past that. <laughs> well, thank you. I knew if anybody would support me, it'd be you, old pal. My old buddy and lifelong friend. Uh, all right. We got a, a couple things that started the program we got to do. And the first thing I wanted to recognize, I don't know whether you've heard about this, Brian, but I wanted to recognize... Eddie Cheslock passed away uh, this past week, I think on on Tuesday or Wednesday. And Eddie Cheslock, for those of you who might not be familiar, was a photographer from the Richmond, Virginia area, the Crockett Territory. But he was a fan going back to the 70s of Mid-Atlantic Wrestling and had been there at, at in Richmond and at the Coliseum and Norfolk, Hampton, all the spot shows around there and had seen every great star and every great match they ever put on in that part of the country. Um, I, I knew he had been in here, had some health issues over the last couple of years, but I'd seen him. He was, uh, like I said, a photographer and a fan going back to when he was a little kid in Virginia, but he was a fixture in recent years on the, you know, the fan fest out that way. Uh, we did one in Richmond when we did the midnight express, uh, 35th anniversary and, 2000 what was it 18 and and i saw him last time i was at the charlotte reunion just a few years ago before pandemic and retirement um and just what a nice guy uh what a just always happy and always smiling and a wrestling encyclopedia and aficionado and uh, again incredible amounts of pictures he'd taken a lot of You've seen pictures that Eddie took if you were a either a fan then uh, in the 
eighties, nineties, or, uh, or have collected old magazines. The Richmond Coliseum had that red brick wall. The right before the guys would go out the entrance way. And that's where Eddie would be stationed and he'd take, and, and he, uh, took several pinup magazine pinups of the midnight and I, when we had the world tag team title and us tag team title belts in front of that red brick wall, that's an Eddie. And then he took some others in, in, uh, uh, Norfolk. It was, it was like a, a concrete tunnel. <laughs> so if, if you saw guys just standing in front of just concrete, uh, but his pictures were always good. But anyway, I just I just hated to hear about that. And, uh, you know, again, he was a fan there going back to, you know, the 70s and had seen so many great matches in that part of the country when mid-Atlantic wrestling was hot in the 70s. And, you know, that's the thing. The Carolinas and Virginia was like Memphis in that, you know, if you were a kid, if you were, if you were a little boy between eight and... 18, I guess, then that's medium-sized boys and larger boys. Chances were like one in two or one in three you were a wrestling fan. So you could talk to everybody at school about it, or you could, you know, talk to anybody at the fucking mall or the gas station or whatever about what Wahoo and Valentine were doing. And it was just accepted. But uh, but anyway, so we send our condolences and our sympathy out to Eddie. I think Dave Lane uh tweeted about it and i haven't heard too much uh, too many other details but uh if anybody knows anything more about it you know let us know what happened exactly did you ever meet eddie did you you don't you never went to a lot of the carolinas fan fest never met him obviously i knew who he was we covered this on the wrestling news this week i first saw bill after tweeted something or actually put on facebook i think a message about eddie so word got around this week a lot of people talking about him yeah, he had, uh, Bill's magazines obviously used a bunch of his stuff. And I mean, he was still taking pictures at the fan fest like crazy and had massive albums and everything. Obviously, again, a kindred spirit because I was doing the same thing uh, that he was doing at approximately the same age, I think. Anyway, uh, also a couple of emails real quick. Uh, this is following up. We had an email from Frank and Carrie Ann in St. Louis a while back, and they sent another one. Uh, it actually, he gives the date on the April 28th, 2022 edition of the experience. Thank you, the note-taking. Uh, but he says, you were nice enough to read our email about our Maltese Sally that we had to put down. It made our day. My wife travels a lot for work and plays it over when she is feeling homesick, as well as for all the cult members she comes across on her travels. Fast forward to now, we have finally decided it's time for a new dog. His name is Turks, and he is a Coton de Tulier. I have no idea what that is, and he says, a.k.a. Little White Dog. Uh, well, supposed to be little, but is about twice the size of normal size ones, so we're considering changing his name to Andre. Uh, but thank you again for the kind words about Sally back in April. It really lifted our spirits. That's uh, Frank and Carrie Ann in St. Louis. And... um. A heartfelt one also from, uh, God, ah, Matt, I'm sorry. It's from Yaounde Cameroon. I'm bot I think Cameroon is right, but I probably botched the first part of that. But this is a, the first time we've gotten an email from an actual legitimate diplomat. Uh, people have said I'm not very diplomatic, but this guy actually is professionally. 
Um, anyway, Matt writes, uh, I'm a real live diplomat originally from Danbury, Connecticut, who has actually served in Laos. I think that's how you pronounce that one. And have met quite a few. I've known a few Laoses, but, and have met quite a few princes in my time. I'm presently serving in Cameroon. I cannot tell you what your shows have meant to me for one reason or the other. I've lost a beloved pet a year for each of the past four years, Hugo, Hitch, Jasmine, and just recently Pippa. And uh, sorry to hear about that, Matt, but uh, he says, but in listening to your show for so long, I've heard your heartfelt best wishes to others who have lost their pets and automatically knew that you were sending condolences and strength to me and my family without even hearing about us. As you've demonstrated so often, the cult of Cornette isn't just a joke. It's a real thing with real support, either emotional or financial. In times of trouble, I'm a proud member and just wanted to say thank you to you, Brian. See, he even recognized you. Harley Quinn and Swami from, as I said, Yaoundi, Cameroon. So we got diplomats in the audience. I wonder if he can, Matt, can you come over here and your next job is to settle things in the AEW locker room between the, the punk camp and the buckaroos? You should become a foreign diplomat. Diplomatic immunity. You can do anything. Well, you know, that would have its... But wait, I w... then I would have to commit the crime in a foreign country, though. Isn't that how that works? That's right. You'd have to find well, a way fuck. to lure your enemies to another country. You'd no, see, they wouldn't fall for that. Everybody that I want to fucking... What do you mean it wouldn't fall for that? Hey, guess what? Here in this country. Free trip to Estonia. Who doesn't want to take that up? Well, now, could somebody could somebody lure shit stain to fucking Edmonton on false pretenses? You Maybe be, just you want to be the representative of Edmonton for the United States government? I, 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 <laughs> of all the places, well, I'm just trying to think somewhere a quiet place somewhere right across the border. I don't know. Uh, all right, well, let's lift our spirits here because we have an update on a previous topic on the program. I have it right here in my hand. In my hand, hand, hand. Poor old string bean. Anyway, we, remember we were talking about Dana White's ill-timed and massively stupid new project, Power Slap. Um, yes, Rocky they, Kernodal. I do. They, I was about to say they ought to get Rocky <laughs> Kernodal to because that's what it's Rocky Kernodal presents Power Slap, but the Power Slap program. On TBS, and we, you know, opined recently about how the fuck does that get on the air when it's stupid to begin with, and these fucking Neanderthal nincompoops that participate in it, and the, how bored you'd have to be with your life to sit here and watch. It's not even just slapping over and over, because I tell you, I've taped. I recorded the first two. And and you can zip through and see all the slaps in about five minutes because they actually fucking try to get you interested in these fucking cretinous shish kebabs before they slap each other. And it's that's a lost cause. Do they cut promos? Oh, and the, well, they talk about it afterwards, but there's not really there's not really there's not a great amount of trash talking for an hour program or anything that a wrestling fan would really give a shit about while an MMA fan, I would think would be insulted that this is the stupidest thing they've ever seen. And a boxing fan, if you can find one anymore, I don't think give two shits about any of these people. 
But nevertheless, we talked about we had seen the uh, the preview the, the the trailer where they just had about three people get knocked out. Remember, Chris Nowinski had tweeted it, say, "Well, here's brain injuries, you fucking twits." And I said they even had a female slap fight where the this one this slapped this blonde woman in the side of the head and her eyes rolled back and she dropped back on her ass and fell back. They have catchers. They got catchers like like Benny Hinn used to have. You're healed and they catch you. And oh my God, Benny Hinn. I used to watch yeah, that. Yeah, see, there you go. Pulled that one right out of my sphincter. They have catchers and they caught her and then she was sitting and then she stood up on her own and then did like a forward roll like you do with your hands and everything. Like I'm going to put my hands out and I'm going to, and she just did an involuntary forward roll and was wallering around flipping like a dolphin out of water. And we made mention of that and we, we moved on. Well, I have an email here from, uh, well, I don't know if this, uh, individual would like their name mentioned. So this is from a concerned listener named boss Rutten. No, come on now. And this person says, I was just listening to to your clip about the female power slap, and from curiosity, I went online to see the clip of the girl that made the rollover. And what a surprise, what did I find out? The girl who actually slapped her, so the slapper, not the slappy, the slappy was the girl who was doing involuntary fucking forward rolls. The slapper, whose name was Sheena, and she was, uh, they, they get graphics with their names and everything, the, the slappers. Sheena. And her name was Sheena, because I remember, oh, she should have just gone all the way and said Queen of the Jungle. But <laughs> this person says the girl who actually slapped her, Sheena, is a very, in capitals, famous girl in the underground BDSM and session wrestling scene. Because I suspect you probably don't know what this means. And as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I've never heard those words or initials ever. <laughs> Brian, I'm sure you've never either and have no knowledge of any of the perpetrations that go on in that world. What did you say was the underground? Underground BDSM and session wrestling scene. And session? Session wrestling. That's what they politely refer to some of these things as. They have a session oh. where they wrestle. Oh, okay. Like session fucking, I guess? Say, well, I did. <laughs> you're going to get fucked one way or the other if you, because these things ain't cheap either. But anyway, <laughs> because I suspect you probably don't know what the, well, we already covered. I have that. no idea what goes on in these worlds, though. You have, you really are. <laughs> oh, you, oh, you, you. Sweet, sweet, innocent boy. I have a desk filled with a Lego and baseball cards right now. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> you can involve Legos in some of these. Uh, oh. I don't know about the baseball cards, but you can build some interesting things with Legos these days. Anyway, well, I got um, some Chrome cards, but anyway, yes, go ahead. Well, yes, he this 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 emailer is going to continue politely. It's a whole business where women getting paid, where women are getting paid to travel the world and beat guys up and also selling videos of doing that. Officially, this doesn't include, and of course, the underground BDSM is a completely different thing. He's talking about the session wrestling scene. Officially, this doesn't include any sex activities, according to their service, but being very familiar with the scene, I can guarantee you it does. Okay. And also that the whole scene is actually a BDSM porn industry. 
or at least one genre of that. Now, I don't want to paint everybody in that community with the same brush here as the session wrestlers. I know you have very limited knowledge of all this based on you're finding out all this information. Just, just in the in the periphery, walking past signs in store windows. But in that Teddy Hart documentary series, those videos they were making at that Creeps wrestling gym in Florida, is that like part of this? Is that considered part of the BDSM underground wrestling scene? Well, some... Well, the ones we're talking about here in this particular email are probably a, a, a bit stronger than even what they were doing over there. Do they recognize the same champion, I guess, is the question. No, no, it's completely different title holders. Okay. But anyway, continuing with this email, so what are we talking about here? Let me clarify this. Um, they will put a BDSM porn star, because that's what she really is, on national TV? I'm pretty sure they know who she is. I can type you a lot more about her, but let's, I think English may be a second language here because I'm correcting some grammar because this is, I believe, from possibly overseas. I can type you a lot more about her, but let's see if you're interested on the topic and I will send you a more detailed email. For now, I'm sending you two links to her of, of her official website and a bit of a teaser to make you open the link. So there are a lot of, I'm not going to give this website out, there are a lot of pictures of her wrestling uh, men, and, and we're not talking backdrops and vertical suplexes, a lot of head scissors, a lot of fucking hog tying and sitting on. And But the, she, uh, the, the tagline is, if you are a real gentleman, you may be allowed some adoring worship of my physique. Every contour, pure power. If trash talk excites you, I will verbally humiliate you in ways you never forget. So you got that to look forward to. Also note, no more tombstone pile drivers. <laughs> uh, and he, he sent a link to a video. The free version, he says, he says you can do your own search online to find the good stuff, quote unquote. Uh, don't forget to use your Express VPN. There are, are a zillion of videos of her out there, but I didn't click on the free link because it had head scissors in the, you know, the link is a long written bunch of text, right? I'm trying to explain it for all the people around the world who may not have seen the internet yet. Who may not have seen a link yet? <laughs> yeah, may not have seen a link. You know, I'm trying to explain what it looks like. Point is, in this in this line of text, the words head scissors came in three times domination twice and spank bang was involved. And I thought maybe I won't click on that in, until I uh, get those internet service providers out of my walls. But spank yeah, but so this is another example, spank bang. Um, <laughs> the, the, these are people that are on the Warner brothers discovery television programs. And I know, you know, they're saying Cornette old news. They've dropped the ban a little late, in my opinion. But just uh, this was another person that's on that network. So I guess they're not doing full background checks on everybody on every program. It's just when they happen to stumble across somebody the, uh, that said something they don't like that they would have never known existed from when they said it because they weren't in the wrestling business then. Is there such a thing as a ringer in this league? Could someone be a ringer or is it just no matter what you do, no matter what your occupation is, no matter how much practice you have, you're ready and slappable. 
<laughs> well, I think, you know, they should try to find like a, a Maurice Talley. The fucking French angel could the big head and the big hands, right? Somebody has never had the, the surgery to stop the the uh, pituitary gland issue, and they've got hands the size of catcher's mill. Or bring the big show out. He's got some fucking hands. What about Dana? Not as big as Andre's were. I want to see huh? Dana. I want to see Dana do it. Well, I just I don't know whether I want to see Dana slap or get slapped. I've seen him slap already. So is the rest of the world on video. <laughs> His right. wife didn't sell it. She really? Sla- it. She slapped him too. It was the first yeah. match. So anyway, but nevertheless, so that's an update on on power slap. What do you think the next great concept in combat sports will be? Will it be power spit? Will it be uh, kick to the shins? What will be the next show on cable TV that bastardizes mixed martial arts or combat sports? Well, no, wait, wait, was it was it Nowinski or who was it now? Because we talked about this last week that also said, what, what's next? Who can survive a stabbing? If, if See, that's the thing. They keep trying to call it a sport. And I know people will say, well, goddamn, Cornette, you get mad when I don't call wrestling a sport, whether it be Kevin Dunn or some of the comedic wrestling fans of today. But it is it requires athleticism and agility and strength and a lot of the attributes that any legitimate or unpredetermined sport possesses. And it, in effect, is an offshoot of a legitimate sport. Professional wrestling could very well, and at one time and has been, legitimate matches. But this is just... Any idiot that will stand there and let somebody slap them in the fucking side of the head as best they can for the opportunity to retaliate and do the same thing to the other guy. There's no talent involved. There's no sport to it. There's It's random chance as to who hits hardest in the right place in a situation like this. And then are you... If you can slap somebody and knock them out, does that mean you're a great slapper or the other guy gets knocked out easy? And and the more you compete in something like this, it's going to be a whole lot harder or a whole lot easier for you to get knocked out because concussions and brain injuries increase in rapidity when you have more and more of them. So it's a doomed endeavor if you're looking for a long career and i'm not seeing that the prize money is there hey i'll give you brain damage for five grand oh shit sign me up what the so this can't last six weeks on television it'll be sad if it i haven't heard the numbers i don't know what the ratings are but i would my god i'd be surprised it picked up week two but it had a stronger lead-in because of a, a big aew episode well, you, but what's picked up from, I mean, they... It was in the 400s. They, good God, they can get as many people to watch this shit as, as Rampage on Friday night at the same time. So good God. Do you think the video I, with Dana White and his wife was strategically leaked to test out intergender slapping? You know, but hey, I thought you were going in a completely different place. Actually, intergender slapping uh might be the next step you know to juice it up a little bit when their ratings do tank in the next few weeks but i thought you were going for do you think this the leak it was leaked strategically to get publicity for this fucking fiasco because they knew they had a stinker on their hands and that's why everybody's watching it 
could he have, it almost backfired, but could that have been strategic? Hey, how do they get, somebody's videotaping them at the exact moment at the first time in their 30 years of marriage or whatever, they decided to fucking throw down and start cuffing each other about the head and face. I'm going to be curious after this first season ends, and I got to figure they're going to run through the whole thing not to piss off Endeavor. But after this first season, when they don't come back for season two, who's going to get the blame? Who's going to point the fingers at, it was their fault. It was TBS. No, it was this. It was the concept. I want to see where everyone starts blaming everyone for this stupidity. Well, I think the, the buck should stop with our friend, Uncle Dana. I think because if, you know, this couldn't have been good. The publicity wasn't real good that they got. I mean, and this never had the chance of being, does it ever have the chance of being good? How could this be good? No. (sighs) Anyway, so, and speaking of good, and you know what? I'll just, I'll just right now, because I'm flying through this, Hotchkiss Featherbottom has taught me so much about the internet and all that good stuff and how it works. I'm going to tell people, you know, it was the St. Valentine's Day Massacameo Day. They are on sale now as, as we, as we uh, are speaking. And in the past 40 minutes, we have sold 67 out of the 80. So they ain't going to be available by the time that you hear my voice. But apparently because of the demand, because these are going in less than an hour, uh, we may have to do this again next month when I get a chance. To so as people don't riot and set fire to torches in the streets. But uh, so anyway, thank you everybody who was able to jump in, and you can still jump in at jimcornett.com. The entire line of merchandise is available, including the lazy booking and cornet face T-shirts, as well as the cult cornet membership certificates, behind the curtain graphic novels. And so much more, jimcornett.com, the Cornette's collectible store. You'll find them at DVDs, all kinds of stuff. You'll find it there. Speaking of finding something, I found out something that I didn't know this past week about my old friends at Sinclair Broadcasting, the people that paid me a weekly, very weekly, for a couple years to to try to get Ring of Honor Wrestling off the ground on on their network or their group of stations. But I I knew that they had bought the Fox Sports regional sports networks in that deal a couple years ago. Disney was selling some things off, right? And uh, Fox owned, I think they said 19 regional sports networks and for the people uh, internationally not in this country i know television is different especially in in the uk but the, the united states is so big geographically that they have regional networks that telecast a variety of the regional sports teams whether it be college or pro or whatever to the people that are going to be most interested in them and that Area Have I articulated that fairly well, Brian? I think so. Okay, so they got 19 of them. And they, what I didn't know was what they paid for them. They paid, according to this business article that's going out, we're going to talk about streaming in general and sports ne- networks and rights fees in general. 
Sinclair bought these 19 regional sports networks for $10 billion. It just, uh, what was it, three years ago, right before the pandemic. And, okay, when we first started, uh, I first started interacting with Sinclair was when the Ring of Honor purchase was being discussed and et cetera. It was, what, 2010, late, I believe. And at the time, the Sinclair Broadcast Group, they owned, I was at 50-something, almost 60, local broadcast television stations around the country. They had a regional sports network up in, in the Maryland area. Uh, a variety of things. It was a multi-billion dollar company, but I think I remember hearing numbers we're talking about maybe the same valuation that the WWE has now, like a five or six billion dollar company, all things considered. And as those negotiations for Ring of Honor went on, they went on a little buying spree of television stations, and these were not major market New York, Los Angeles, Chicago. They had a lot of you know, secondary market stations, but still they picked up another 15. I think we ended up going on the air with like 75 stations, but still that's why, again, <laughs> that's why I scoff when people still think that Tony Khan paid $40 million for a ring of honor, you know, here last year, whatever. I, that's why I said, if, if that had happened, there would be a statue of Joe Coff erected in the fucking lobby of the headquarters of Sinclair Broadcasting. But, but back then, they still, they were noted for having a lot of debt. I think they had over a billion dollars in debt. That's, uh, you know, when I first heard that, that's one of the things that worried me. I like, oh, shit. When we saw they weren't going to spend a lot of money at first. But the idea that they spent $10 billion for these regional sports networks, which are now $8.6 billion in debt and going bankrupt. Apparently, they started their own subsidiary company, Sinclair did, to Diamond or something to run these sports networks, and that subsidiary is on the verge of going bankrupt. They're, they, they have to pay $140 million just on an interest payment on their credit. Uh, here coming up, don't think they can do that. And they pay these sports, the professional sports teams, they pay them rights fees. And Brian, you said that's going to screw up some of your baseball, is it not? Well, it won't screw up my baseball. It may help baseball in the long run because there have been so many blackout issues where a local team's games can't be aired locally on a different channel, or it relates a lot with streaming issues where you can't stream. I for the longest time, if I was in New York, I couldn't stream a Mets game. But if I went to Florida, I could. <laughs> Which is just the stupidest thing ever, but it's been the way forever. They pay a lot of teams a lot of money. And one of the articles I read really had a great way of looking at it, which is, for so long, so many of the teams that cry poverty have actually gotten a lot of money. The St. Louis Cardinals, I think, are due $60 million this year for their local television package. But now they can't pay that. So it's going to affect all these teams. And this may be the schism that causes Major League Baseball to purchase the rights to all of this and bring everything in-house so we could have nationwide streaming of baseball. But I got, I got fucking hot. 
when I read this because I know approximately what they paid Carrie Silken for Ring of Honor. And as I said, I know somewhere in the realm of reason, which is not $40 million, what they got from Tony Khan for it. And the fact that it cost them as little as it did to operate at least at the level that it did, no matter whose administration during the whole time that they owned it. Jesus H Christ that they wouldn't, we couldn't get a fucking camera when they first bought the thing and they spent $10 billion for this, this network of sports networks that they owe now $8.6 billion on and they're going bankrupt. I, w- I wonder if those motherfuckers said maybe we ought to just give them $3 million more to Ring of Honor in 2012 and see what the fuck would have happened. We might could have got something back. And it's... And that's the thing, obviously, they were they were doing something for Joe Coff that he believed in, and they didn't make a great financial commitment until until it was too late, right as they were doing that and going you know into that mode, the pandemic you know brought an end to everything. but goddamn to spend ten billion dollars on something that you're oh my God. But all the streaming services, and this is something else that affects, as we've been talking about, the WWE sale. All the streaming services are in the red because they've, and and, uh, they did this with the network, the WWE network, which has been almost 10 years ago now when they they said, oh, we'll have 2 million or 3 million or whatever it was, and they got like half of that or a third of that. And it's not just in wrestling. Peacock is going to lose over a billion dollars this year, I think they said, on its way to becoming profitable. In whose lifetime? They, they, they not only have to set this infrastructure up, but they have to pay for content to put on it. And then they're selling it to people for fucking, like I said, the the WWE has done more to devalue a big wrestling show or historic wrestling footage than anything else ever with Peacock because now you can get practically everything that's ever been put on tape for $5 a month or $10 a month, including WrestleMania. So it's I'm not surprised they're losing money when they're spending money like drunken whores and... And you can't you can't make that back, can you? No, I think there's a big uh, apocalypse for streaming that's already been taking place and that will continue to take place. There's too many. And, you know, the comedian Jim Gaffigan had something I saw a few years ago on CBS Sunday Morning where he said, why don't they just take all the streaming channels, all the streaming networks, all the streaming platforms, and put them together and we can call it cable television because <laughs> it would be easier that way. But no, I think actually, you know, for everyone, I thought a la carte was the future and just everyone will subscribe to whatever they want. In a certain respect, it is. But actually, I think it's the opposite now. I think people don't want to subscribe to all these things. I think the subscription model is kind of a broken model in a lot of ways. And I think the true test is put everything out there for free and let it be advertiser supported and give the content to the people for free. and. Let's see how it works. Well, at at some point also, how even if you're interested in something with so many different 
things, streaming services or ways to see something, how hard do you have to work to find something to watch that you want to watch, but or that you might want to watch if you knew it was on? Or, yeah, you'd like to watch that, but goddamn, you know, the kids are out of school this week. I don't have time to fucking chase this down. Or you don't want to subscribe to something that's going to be an automatic renewal on an ongoing basis just to watch one thing one time, and then you'll have to fucking go back and cancel it or what? It's just, you used to be able to turn the goddamn television on, change the channels, however many there were, whether it be broadcast or then later cable, still you're changing your channels and and you either had a TV guide in your hand or there's a guide on the screen that can help you figure it out and it wasn't that fucking difficult. And now you got shit coming at you from everywhere and, you know, Dan's discount upholstery and fucking regional sports network is streaming you the best of, you know, lesbian cribbage. I don't, you know. The problem is like there's all these streaming networks and like Paramount Plus, let's say. I think so far they've had two original programs that I've been interested in. One of them I loved. One of them I haven't watched yet. That's two that I know of that I'm interested in. Really don't give a shit about everything else on there because I have access to it in other places. Netflix, I'm sure there's more. But for every streaming service, there's probably a couple things people want to see. The question is, do they actually want to pay anywhere between $5 and $12 a month to see one show once? Well, and, and, you know, we've got, um, Stace has the streaming hooked up to the TV in the bedroom as well as our cable TV, but our cable TV also has on demand services, right? If you just hit on demand, there's six or seven subcategories. Do you want networks? Do you want premiums? Do you want what? If you hit the networks, then it gives you every cable network or television network or history channel or fucking military warfare channel or i mean just everything and you have to hit that and then there's subcategories it will take you longer if you just start from scratch boy i'd like to find something to watch on tv to go through all these things and it would actually watch the fucking movie or the program who who wants to go to that much effort? I'll tell you another thing. This is why I still buy DVDs or Blu-rays of the things I really care about. I have a box set, for instance, of The Fugitive. The Fugitive's on MeTV, 2 in the morning, Sunday night. Yes. Can't buy it on any any uh, like Apple streaming service. I say buy. Can't buy it or rent it on any Apple service, or it's not available, I don't believe, on Netflix or anything else. So I have it here. So if it ever goes away, I make sure I can watch it again. WWE from what I understand, just pull down a bunch of indie content. May not matter to you and me, but it's content that someone cared about, someone thought would always be there, and now it's gone. That's what I always worry well, about with the, these streaming the, the services. Vintage, the vintage stuff also that they were putting on the network, all that didn't migrate over. And plus, as we've talked about, the WWE, the libraries they've bought, has multiple times more old territory footage that you haven't seen that's in the vault than they've ever put out anywhere to begin with. So again, that's why our us collectors and our VHSs and betas and DVDs or whatever, I've got more classic wrestling content in the vault on tape than, than you can find on the WWE network and, or any of the other streaming services put together. Cause I got it at the time. 
But, you know, some of that stuff, will it, it won't necessarily be lost. It'll be in the WWE archive. You'll have to get a job there to ever see it. And then if you see it, they may change the music. They may change the audio. They may change the commentary. They may edit things out. The other day we did the watch along. And this was interesting because originally we were hoping that people would have the option of watching on Peacock or YouTube. You don't even know this. Had to make some edits right before we went to air. It turns out that shortly after Hulk Hogan enters the Royal Rumble, there are a series of edits on YouTube of Hulk Hogan choking his opponent, of Roddy Piper putting, I believe, a shirt around an opponent's throat. So they shave off a few seconds here, a few seconds here, and that screwed up the sync. So we made it so that it's only in sync with Peacock, which is what you were watching, because otherwise it wouldn't have worked. But there's an example of something that happened, took place, historical event, 92 Royal Rumble. They've made several changes in the most widely free available version of the show. Oh, and I saw HBO Max just pulled down a bunch of uh, Looney Tunes, like classic Looney Tunes from, I forget what it was. It wasn't the first batch, but like the second, you know, great run of the show, of uh, the show, the second great run of the cartoons, they pulled them all down. So what? They didn't see, I guess, an audience that justified the expense of keeping it up. And that's what you have to worry about with these streaming services. They decide what's there, when it's there, and when they're going to pull it. Them or their partner decide that. So if you're someone, again, I got the Mr. Ed box set, I got the Fugitive box set, I bought a few recently. I just want to make sure I always have access to these shows because you can't trust any of these services. Uh, we don't even know if any of these services are going to be here in a few years. I have the six VHS greatest Looney Tunes hits set, but I don't have anything on DVD yet. What do you have? You have a VHS, you said? Yeah. Oh, it's uh, the beautiful sleeves and boxes and everything. It's six six tapes on the uh, the Looney Tunes set. You got Bugs, you got Daffy, you got, you know, various subgenres. Hey, if I could ask you a question that's kind of related to all this, but what do you think? We're not just insulting the youth of today, <laughs> as I expect you to do, but what do you think about the idea that today kids, primarily, although there are exceptions, you know, my kids have a record collection, but kids today don't know what it's like to have a physical unit of whether it's a record or even a CD or a DVD or even a VHS of holding packaging, of holding the artwork, of reading the liner notes, you know, for any of these things. They don't have that experience the same way we did. Again, times change, things evolve. But what do you think about that? You're talking about the nice packaging of the Looney Tunes box set. Does a kid know what a box set is? You know, I'd never actually even thought of that. I. It was so revolutionary to me, the idea that we could, you know, by the time that I was 20 years old, we could actually not only have videotapes that we could buy and bring to our own home and watch, but we could tape programs off television so we could actually see them after they had aired. Uh, that was so revolutionary and wonderful that I just can't imagine that anybody for the rest of their life would not want to compile as big a collection of videos on whatever format exists uh as possible because it was it was like you know when when uh, 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 the wizard of oz went from black and white to color a and then you know records i grew up with because they were already a thing but the idea that's how you got music and 
honestly, I did like cassette tapes um, better by the time I was a teenager because you could take those in the car. But rather than buy them, I would make my own off the... I'd buy the records because the sound quality was better. And then I'd make my own cassette tapes and I'd have both. But, you know, the idea of not having... and But, I mean, it goes to books, too. And they've still got books, thankfully. But the idea of if you like... If you're a fan of a band or if you like a genre of something and there's books about it, or if you, you know, you're a wrestling fan, so you want tapes of the great shows of the great matches, the idea that you wouldn't want to save that stuff in whatever format and have it physically in your house in a collection would drive me completely the fuck out of my mind. Yeah. If you look at wrestling books, the Rocky Johnson book, the Gary Hart book, they sell for hundreds of, if not thousands of dollars on eBay for a reason. They were here and then they were gone. If you got one, you were lucky. That's why if there's something I think I'm going to want to read at some point, I'll buy the book because I've seen too many times, especially with books, goes out of print. It's gone. There's a book that came out in 2019, a Thimble Theater collection, a collection of the pre-Popeye Thimble Theaters from the 20s. The Fleischer cartoons, right? Well, before the Fleischers even got a before hold of Before the Popeye. Fleischers? Yes, the newspaper uh, comics by E.C. Seagar. Oh, that's right. It was Seeger. Yes. And came out in 2019. It's gone. Can't get a copy anywhere. It's not on eBay. It's not on Amazon. I lost my chance. I got to hope it gets reissued by Fantagraphics or something. So whenever I see a book I know I'm going to want it at some point, I just jump on it right away because I know it'll go away. It happens. Well, you can't trust these big corporations. We've said that many times. And I'll tell you, again, it's nerve-wracking. The thought that your favorite stuff that you thought you could watch anytime you want will disappear. Or the thought that, you know, let's say, for example, if you're listening to us out there and you're the CEO of one of these major multi-billion dollar streaming services and you're thinking, well, we're going to go bankrupt this week. I'm going to lose $947 million. Well, shit, that can give you the Sunday scaries. You see what I did there, Brian? I see what you did, and I agree with you. That could give you the Sunday. It should. It can make you nervous. You'll be shaking like a dog shitting peach seeds, folks. On Sunday, if you got to go to work on Monday knowing you're going to lose nearly $1 billion, or if your entire life's entertainment is going to be wiped off and you're never going to be able to see it again, all those things can make you nervous, can make you shaky, can make you anxious, can make you ridden with fear and and, tre and pre trepidation is what I'm trying to say. And that's why you need the Sunday Scary CBD gummies, because they were made to defeat the crap that life throws at us. They're the perfect CBD gummies for professional people that are stressed over work or the super moms that have 18 kids and are trying to breastfeed them all at the same time. Or if you're in in school and you're sweating it because you know you're a complete imbecile and you're going to fucking flunk all your courses, just take some CBD. Or if you're a regretful drunk sexter. If you're a student above age, for the record. Yeah, well, yeah, that's why I say you know, you're in college, right? You, you got these big tests going on. They don't, they don't browbeat the grade schoolers, for heaven's sake. Well, some of them Depends do. Depends where you go. Yeah. Depends on where you go. Anyway, I still like the regretful drunk sexters. Apparently, that can make you scared or anxious or nervous. I think if, if you're drunk, you should have free reign to say whatever you want. 
Do you think it's but people who are, are regretting the text as they're doing it or just after the fact when they wake up sober? Well, I don't think they're regretting it while they, because regret by the definition of that is something you feel bad about something you have done, not something that you are doing. You can't regret that yet. You haven't done it yet. See, don't you see? Well, imagine Woody Allen texting, like the instant regret with every word. Oh, I shouldn't have put this. Oh, I could see it happening. I can see Woody Allen regretting things that he did. <laughs> Never, it's not say you don't relax well. Let's let's move on there. Let's say you don't relax well. It's hard to shut your brain off, or like Brian, it's hard to start it up. Are you overthinking? Are you stressing yourself out, folks? The Sunday Scaries are deliciously cute, vitamin-boosted CBD gummies that chill you out. They help you sleep. No more staring at the ceiling and worrying about things that are to come. So. Just right now, if you want to live scare-free, calm your racing mind, chill out, whatever, take two CBD gummies every day to keep the scaries away, and we will save you 25% on that proposition when you visit Sunday, as in the day of the week, Sunday Scaries, S-C-A-R-I-E-S, sundayscaries.com. Use the promo code JCE for your discount of 25%. Promo code JCE. 25% off the gummies and all the variety of goodness at sundayscaries.com. You'll be so calm. You'll be positively comatose. No, you will be awake and calm with Sunday Scaries. Well, you won't be awake if you're asleep. But you will you'll be, be calm, calm and not comatose. You, Let me stress that. No, I'm, with I'm Sunday just, scaries. I'm exaggerating. You can flatline and still no. <laughs> you will still not have flatline. Some recognition no. of what's going on. Your brain will still work, folks. It's just your body. Nothing will move. Again, all these things could technically happen to all of us, but not because of Sunday scaries, which are delicious and can help you with your Sunday scaries. Yes. So you're just saying at any time. You can just open your eyes and not be able to move any part of your body. So we got that to look forward to. It could happen. It doesn't mean it will happen. Well, Thinking about that potentially happening in the future is a great reason to take some of this unicorn jerky from Sunday Scaries. That's right. Get it over with now. <laughs> Sunday Scaries. Well, no matter how calm you are, this is something that lights me up. Have you heard, and we're going to talk about the AEW program from this past week and the tribute to Jay Briscoe, and I. this is not in any way going to be negative toward AEW or Tony Khan, who Tony apparently did work hard and move some mountains to get this done, but to the Warner Brothers Discovery executive controversy, there's been more of an update on that before the decision about Mark was revoked. Another reason they're saying that this, again, unnamed Warner Brothers executive, and I know a lot of people have sent me this guy or that woman or this the person in charge of that network or whatever. I need, I need a quote attributable to a specific individual that, no, we don't want these people on, on our network, and I will publicize that name to everybody around the globe, but I'm not just going to buckshot scream a bunch of people's names. But another apparently... But I will, and here's the <laughs> list right here. Oh, come on now. We don't want anybody showing up at their back door with a hammer for no reason at all. 
But apparently another reason, in addition to the tweets that Jay made that he'd apologized for, that everybody had talked about, that he had been repentant about, another reason was apparently because they wore Confederate flags on their jackets in the past. I mean, now, again, was from the network that brought you power slap and from the network that, as we've been hearing from listeners and feedback and emails, they're okay with the, the cor corporate entity, is okay with this Ezra Miller character. And they've had Mike Tyson, they've had convicted bank robbers and felons. But because the Briscoes wore Confederate flags. And, and I know a lot of people now, because again, <clears throat> of uh, the controversy over the flag and the news and whatever that's been going on for the past hour, what, 10 years or more now. But no, I'm sorry. You've got to understand that not everybody who ever flew or possessed or displayed or wore something with the Confederate flag on it was a member of the Klan or the skinheads. That's not the way it worked down south. You grew up, whether you owned one or not, you grew up seeing them on the sides of buildings and on the state capitals in a variety of states. And it, it, it was synonymous with country boys and pickup trucks and hound dogs and Friday night football and fishing and guns and all the shit the country boys do. It has been adopted by the white supremacists and whatever else, but that's, again, I'm not even arguing for its reinstatement. What I'm saying is people need to acknowledge the fact that a lot for a lot of people in the states of Georgia, Mississippi, North and South Carolina, Tennessee, Alabama, you saw that growing up as much as you saw the American flag and never heard that there was any unsavory connotations to it. So you either displayed it or fucking did whatever if it came up. I've got a Confederate flag bandana from a Skinnerd concert 25 years ago, 30 years ago. Autographed by three members of Skinnerd, unfortunately. Billy Powell, the only original member. Uh, but they sold him at the concert. So here's what now where we've got with this is if you are to hold this standard that the Warner Brothers executive wanted because they once wore Confederate flags on their... And by the way, for those of you not familiar with when, uh, around our worldwide audience with geography in the United States or any of our American fans, Sandy Fork, Delaware is below the Mason-Dixon line. And as we've mentioned, it's as fucking rural and country as you can get. But if we were to go by the same reasoning from this Warner Brothers executive, then they can never show a Leonard Skinner concert or the Leonard Skinner documentary or any of the tributes. I just saw two different ones on Access TV last month. I'm glad they're at a different parent company. But going, just comparing the same standard, if Ronnie Van Zant was alive today and hadn't gone down in the plane crash, apparently he would not be welcomed on the Warner Brothers, TBS, Discovery, whatever the fuck networks to just talk about his body of work 
or extending it to that, they can't have any Southern rock and any Southern rock band from the 70s and early 80s on any of their networks. They can also not have any any contact with any fucking gift gift store, gift shop in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, or in almost anything on coastal North and South Carolina in the way of gift shops, tourist attractions, whatever the fuck, at least last time I was there. Because whether it's shot glasses, beach towels, pillows, flags, T-shirts, maybe they've changed it now, but people went there for 50 fucking years and bought this shit. I bet some of them still have it. There are no Tracy Smothers matches ever including the ones apparently that he had on the same network 30 years ago. They, if they were in charge of the WWE network, no Freebirds matches or interviews could be shown from world-class wrestling, Georgia Championship Wrestling, or Mid-South Wrestling. Just because of the clothes they were wearing that identified them with the part of the country they were from, not the political viewpoints that they had. You know what the bigger question is starting to become? Is the person who made the decision against the Briscoes a wrestling fan? And if not, who narked on the Briscoes? Because there are so many people (laughs) involved with AEW who have done shit that's on video and said shit that's on video and been a part of tasteless shit that's on video all over the place but somehow there was a narrow focus on the briscoes so was the executive a wrestling fan that happened to know of them and was offended by them one of the rare wrestling fans offended by the briscoe brothers well i shouldn't say that because if you didn't know that jay had done so much after the tweet you may not you wouldn't know that if you are a wrestling fan cognizant of who the Briscoes were in 2011 when the tweets emanated, then you would be cognizant of what they had done since to you would think. Yeah, you atone would think. for that. So, and and very good point. So, whoever this executive is, and probably wasn't even in the same job ten years ago when this happened, was just instantly knew okay we got a wrestling program well goddamn i've written down a note we cannot have these briscoe fellas from delaware how it it right because tony doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense does it does tony clear all the new talent with the network i wouldn't think so because there's so many people who pop up and pop in and out of that show i have never i've been involved with wrestling programs on the usa network on tbs on a variety of i've never heard of any of any of the corporate entities or the networks asking for a background check on any of the wrestlers ever. So how did it become, Hey, listen, Tony, we understand you bought ring of honor. Just so you know, we will never allow those two on our show. Well, no, before before, it was before that, because now they're saying that they'd wanted to bring the Briscoes there from day one. Oh, that's right. I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, no, 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 no. So who was this fucking immovable, unchangeable mind, and how did they even know? I mean, Hulk Hogan, for fuck's sake, it was on TMZ, it was on probably NBC News, who the fuck knows where, that was everywhere. Other scandal involving these 
major names are everywhere, but it was a story in wrestling because the WWF was offended and and that and and that was it and but you know how did it get to the entertainment executives yeah. how did suddenly this world know of that and decide of no the bank robber's okay the drug addicts are okay yeah, yeah. the goddamn rapist is okay the fucking the intentional brain injuries are okay but these guys wore a flag and sent out a mean tweet and we wrote it down we're going to keep somebody knows and sooner or later, whoever knows is going to be pissed off or unaffiliated with whoever they're beholden to right now. And we're going to find this out. If it takes me 10 fucking years, I will continue doing this podcast until we get this guy. This will be my possibly unsolvable crime case. Oh no, we'll solve it. We'll get a name. Mm, We're going to name names, baby. Well, speaking of a name, uh, I'm not going to call a lot of people names this week on AEW because they did a good thing. As a matter of fact, I got a, a phone call, which I did. I didn't. I wasn't around the phone to actually pick it up because I w- had already put the phone away here in the office, and I'm downstairs, and I was getting ready because, um, amazingly enough, watched AEW Dynamite live because of the occasion. But I got a voicemail from about 7.30 from the, let's just say, from the AEW locker room. And they Was it said Anna Jay? That, was it Anna oh, Jay? Quit, quit. Now, she, she don't know where she's at right now. She's still dizzy. Uh, but the comment was that Mark Briscoe was there and happier than a pig and shit. And that's a compliment. If you know Mark, he would enjoy that. He's always been big on animal feces. Uh, but Mark was thrilled to be, well, you know, the chicken shit and everything. And I guess so. He even did a promo one time. He said, if you, I can't do his accent, that weird Briscoe accent, but if you're going to do, if you're going to do a job, you got to pick a job where you come in contact with plenty of animal feces. It keeps you humble. And then he's, she's digging out the fucking chicken coop. How about that weather report with him? Did you see that? Oh, yes. I retweeted. I was there with that was when Sinclair <laughs> first bought Ring of Honor and they had the Briscoes on and several of the guys on various programs on uh, their air and they had Mark do the weather and in front of the green screen, it was fucking. I personally myself have been struck by lightning on two different occasions. <laughs> <laughs> One time I was holding a, well, a dolphin figurine. It was the only thing that saved me. It was made completely of rubber. I'm, and thing at Mark, <laughs> I th- who said this? Ian Riccoboni or Caprice, one of the others said it, but Mark has the highest IQ in the Ring of Honor locker room. He's like genius level IQ. It's amazing. But anyway, um, so it was the tribute show to Jay, and they were in Lexington down the road here at Rupp Arena. And I will say it... <laughs> It actually, and I'm. This is not even a knock on AEW. This is just the state of wrestling these days. It saddened me. I think they sold about five or six thousand tickets to Rupp Arena, which, if you don't know, is the home of the University of Kentucky Wildcats and seats twenty three thousand for basketball because it's the home of the UK Wildcats. Um, hey, any issues that, as a promoter running a college town in January? Back to no. school. No, no. Well, well, no, not. I mean, was this some kind of spring break week? They're around. It's the end of January. Uh, but uh, I mean, I don't know. 
I don't know how many college kids they drew, they drew or, you know, whether it's just the standard AEW age group and audience, but that's the, Jarrett ran Rupp Arena once a month, as we've talked about from 1978 through the mid eighties, when they lost the TV in Lexington. And he worked with the majority of that time. They drew between five and 8,000 people a month. I think Lawler and Savage had the record when they finally did did the grudge match. It was eight or nine thousand people. Uh, but the WWF in the early two thousands, remember they had a couple of sellouts there, and this was after the high point of the house show business in the Attitude Era. But Lexington was always a great town, and that's when the the students at UK were engaged. Not only I've talked about the girls coming to see Lawler and the Fabs and Dundee and etc., but the UK uh, students were engaged at that point in time, and also OVW was here in Louisville. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying OVW was drawing them sellouts, but they had an extra, an extra bit of publicity and awareness in this part of the state because OVW did work with the radio stations, Clear Channel, and we had the TV show on ten to twenty thousand homes per week, depending on the time or the era of the ratings book were that the OVW show was getting. We were doing constant co-promotions with the WWE when they would come to town and running their commercials. So it was extra local broadcast advertising and just the awareness of the guys being around town and being on the news a lot and things. So Louisville and Lexington stood up a few more years for live events after the downslide of the attitude era but it in where i was going with this was rupp arena lexington it's such a beautiful facility and it's right there downtown they would do at least one or two times they did bigger houses than the louisville houses even though louisville's a much bigger city and there was that that big sellout they did for the wwf pay-per-view where the commissioner was there and triple h had to get juice and Gunnerman lost his mind and fined them and tried to suspend their promoter's license, and they got mad and didn't do TV or pay-per-view in Kentucky because they couldn't get juice for, what was it, the next 15 years. Nevertheless, we start AEW's program. You know, I'd said last week I'd put a tribute to Jay and an explanation and then put Mark and Jay on first while they had the biggest audience they were going to have. And I thought that would hook a lot of these fence sitters that just tune out after the big bang theory to maybe see what else was going on. They countered instead with let's send Jericho out there so that he can uh, uh, get some glory. Him and Sammy and Danny Garcia and did you see what Jericho and Garcia had the rip-off male stripper pants, and when they ripped them off and threw them up in the air, Jericho's fell back down over his fucking head? Or were you watching Jericho's pants that close? I, I wasn't watching his pants closely, but I did see the spot. Yes. So it was Jericho and Sammy against Action Andretti and Ricky Starks. And... I've got, again, I'm I'm not going to be too hard-hearted, but i got to point out what I see. Most everybody involved in this was over to some degree with the people, and the action was good, especially when Andretti was working with Sammy. 
But as a tag team match, this was a goddamn mess. And I'll explain why in a second. But for, and let me say good things about Action Andretti. He's in great shape. He's a talented athlete. He does great moves, and he's also got some of the basics down. Very athletic again, unfortunately small, but he's a great underdog white meat babyface. Not somebody that can be a main event guy right now because you're trying. This is the kind of guy that you bring in and you let him start looking good and get over organically with the people because they really like him and he's snazzy. And you slowly move him up because, again, he's green and he hasn't done a lot of talking on television, and that's that shows. And also, he's, again, he's a little fella. So, you know, instead of having a big-time superstar, Chris Jericho, put him over and then featuring him every week and in a top spot right off the bat, throw him in the deep end, and he's going to come and go like a lot of these guys have come and gone. They've tried to do the same thing, too. Have you seen where Wheeler Yuta's at these days? We'll talk about him in a minute. But this guy, if you if you just let it happen and start bringing him along, do no harm. Use the Hippocratic Oath on a guy like this. Don't book him to look like shit. Let him win some, lose when appropriate, and get over with the people and slowly move him up. A guy that could be a main eventer now would have been if Ricky Starks went out there after he did a high-profile job for MJF and beat Chris Jericho flat in the middle. Now, that would have been interesting because he's already, nevertheless. Um, well, if I could just say, though, I think part of the problem with Andretti, and you know, people like him, but there were a lot of quiet spots when he was the one doing the offense in the match because people still don't know him. And well, that yes, he, they're not familiar. And unless he's beating up, because Sammy's kind of familiarity breeds contempt these days. When action is beating up Jericho and it's unexpected, that gets a big pop. When, when that's the thing, when Sammy and action did the first five minutes of this match without tagging any either partner in, and it was. You know, it, not only was it kind of starting to get the same thing after a while, but I can see any fan from 10 years ago, and to be honest, the crowd was all over a lot of shit later on in the program. They were more quiet a lot of places for this. This isn't... Lexington wasn't trained on acrobatic wrestling, and any fan from 10 or 15 years ago that might tune in the program or be sitting in the stands is like, what is this, kids wrestling? Well, the other thing I was going to say, though, Action Andretti, who, by the way, looks like the illegitimate son of Jimmy Del Rey. Next time you see him, you'll see him. <laughs> but Action Andretti, he beat Jericho. He got that surprise win after what was a long, I think it went through the commercial, what was a long yeah. match, got the win, and then everything shifted almost right away to Jericho and Ricky Starks. Jericho's feuding with Ricky Starks and technically Action Andretti, who have to wrestle his other guys just because they're both feuding with Jericho, I think that hurt Action Andretti. It wasn't, okay, let's put him with Ricky Starks, who is really over and could be super over if we did the right thing with him next. Putting him with Ricky Starks didn't help Ricky Starks. I don't think it helped Action Andretti. I think he kind of needed to be on his own, establishing himself. He kind of got lost in the shuffle almost a week after he won his match. 
Well, remember, well, the week after he won his match is when he came out and basically Starks was put in the little buddy role because they knew that was going to happen. So they, okay, let's let action come out and kick the shit out of all the heels. But then he came out and saved Starks' ass and made Starks look like shit. So you're right. They're trying to shoehorn shit together. It doesn't necessarily need to go together this quick. It would have been like if the one, two, three kids started teaming with Hulk Hogan the next week. You know? Yes. <laughs> I'm surprised Hogan missed that. Waltman was very popular. Well, he left right but, after that, yeah, to be fair. That's true. <laughs> he left right away, yeah. But basically, so Action and Sammy did the first five minutes themselves, and then they both just cold tagged basically Starks and Jericho in with each other. With no milk, they just, uh, boom, tag, tag. No, like, you want him, you want him. Uh, so then they have the face off, and then they get in a big fight, Jericho and Starks. And then Starks grabs his hand and does the top rope strut walk, where he's holding Jericho's hand and he's strutting on the top rope. But he doesn't see that Sammy, 10 feet in front of him, is climbing to the top rope and fucking cutters him. Off the top, so they're stopping the baby face because the baby face is a dumb fuck and presented as not keeping his eye on what's going on rather than he's the victim of a heelish double team from behind. So again, you got first five minutes, no tags. Then baby face gets a hot tag, makes a bit of a comeback, and through his own stupidity and not cunning on the part of the heels is cut off. Then they get heat on Starks. And I will say one thing critical, but Ricky Starks takes a slam like a sack of wheat because they did two or three body slams. Jesus, Ricky, arch your back. Look up. Uh, But anyway, before Jericho was in, the match was moving. But when Jericho gets in, they start the heat on Starks. It kind of bogged down. Well, then, like I said, it was awkward. They started out with no tags. Then they finish up with tag, 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 tag. Tagged Action Andretti. He makes a comeback. Dives on both of them. Starks DDT's Sammy. Action hits a crossbody. Two count. Then Action and Sammy have a double knockout, and they reach over and simultaneous tags again to fucking Jericho and Starks. And Jericho ducks clothesline bonks action off the apron because they bobbled a little bit there and then they do the running spot and Stark spears Jericho Stark Stark's power bombs Jericho two count then Starks reaches over and tags action back in and it, it, if you're in a tag team match and you you've resorted to where after the comeback you're you're tagging two and three more times you're getting too complicated so, Action misses a moonsault, and Jericho tags Sammy back in. And that's why I wrote, I'm lost, they're back and forth, everybody's doing good stuff, but as a tag team match, this thing's a fucking mess. So then Starks gives Jericho his finisher on the floor, and Andretti was about to beat Sammy in the ring, but Sammy hit, or I'm sorry, but uh, Danny Garcia hit Action Andretti with the bat in the head. He hit him in the head with a baseball bat. Kid's five foot six, 160, and being hit in the head with a baseball bat staggered him backwards into Guevara's finish. One, two, three, Jesus H. Christ, your thoughts. Eh, I mean, 
it was all right. I'm not going to rip on anything. It was all yeah. right. I think they bungled a lot of stuff with the booking, as I expected with Ricky Starks, but I think, again, other than the fact that he's on the show, you wouldn't think that actually Andretti's a guy who got a big surprise victory, what, a month, month and a half ago? He's just another guy doing the moves on the show already, teaming with Ricky Starks, who, again, was super over. He got himself super over, and now he's caught in this web of Jericho. We'll see the web of Jericho. That's what it is. He's feuding with both guys. It just so happens they have to wrestle the Sammies and the Garcias and the 2.0s and the Hagers, who are doing nothing on this show but hanging out with each other <laughs> while Jericho feuds with everyone. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But uh yeah, I mean it was it was an alright match. The crowd was part of the story. They kind of And again, I didn't even think about the idea. That maybe not every crowd is uh, is the universal wrestling crowd. Maybe some crowds still, like you said, they're not used to the acrobatics and just popping for each individual. Hey, I'm up here now, and now I'm back down. Yeah. So well, maybe when you think of they, uh, AEW has never been to Lexington. That was their. They've never been in the state of Kentucky live. Again, there were no big events in. Lexington and Louisville from the WWE for years because of the no blood rule with the commission, uh, OVW and, you know, the Jarrett territory, you know, they certainly didn't feature that kind of wrestling. So it's still a little new and they obviously got into it by the end of the program, especially with the Briscoe and lethal match. So they appreciated violence. Maybe it was just these individuals that they weren't necessarily wrapped up in. All right, but right after that match was the Jay Briscoe tribute video. And I mean, you know, just incredible. I don't know what that piece of music was or who was doing it, but it fit perfectly. And the, they didn't try to go for a, you know, greatest hits compilation of all these big moves and, you know, breaking furniture and everything. There was more, video of Jay and his family and just Jay himself and Jay with Mark than even wrestling footage, of which there was some, but apparently a guy that had been working with Ring of Honor over the, however long uh, that was friends with Jay had put a lot of time and effort into this video, and it was just, again, a tremendous job, and, you know, that, well, the whole thing's so sad but it was good to see that and that's where again i'm going to acknowledge tony khan apparently did you know we've called bullshit and shenanigans in the past but he apparently did and had been going to bat for the briscoes and trying to get this done and it wasn't lack of trying on tony's part that it was done too late and but so you know so we're not gonna obviously blister or mess with anybody tony or anybody else to company for that anymore but this was a tremendous piece of video that just you know it kind of took two minutes to explain or to to visually demonstrate how much that jay meant to people how much he enjoyed what he did how his family was always around him and the kids and the whole nine yards so you obviously everybody that thought that was one of the high points of the program. I have to admit, I teared up. I got real teary-eyed, and uh, it was a tremendous video. 
It's also sad, like you said, and Tony and AEW and everyone involved deserves a lot of credit for fighting for all this. And then again, we're a week later, and they did such a great job with it here on the air. I did want to ask you about another video I saw, because it, it just made me smile. I had never seen it before. I don't know if it had been out there or if they just released it now. I think it was Matt Taven and Dalton Castle had a 30-foot Jay Briscoe banner that they- Oh, yes. I don't I think they maybe took it from Mexico or something, and they surprised him by hanging it off a balcony, and that was a really cool video to see his reaction to that. Yeah, apparently it was one of the, they'd gone to Mexico for one of the big events. This was a few years ago. And one of the advertising banners was like straight up and down about 30 feet tall. And it was a picture of Jay. And I think the story was that Taven bought a suitcase in Mexico to <laughs> pack that up and bring it to Jay. And they, like you said, unfurled it off a hotel balcony and, and you know, videoed him seeing it for the first time. But, um... But, you know, yeah, that's – so anyway, I mean, where do you start on picking video of these guys? We've talked about how they were just naturals for the camera, but they did a great job here in, in two minutes. And I'll say some more good stuff about somebody for once coming up. The next match was for the TNT title. Darby Allen was staying in his corner against Buddy Matthews with Julia Hart. So it, <laughs> Julia was there to offset Sting, I guess. Uh, from the House of Black. And by the way, Julia looks incredible. We'll say that again right at the start. And let me give the ca caveat here. This match is visually ridiculous to begin with. Because of the size difference and the physique difference. Darby Allen is good enough. If they worked it smart, you'd believe it. This is what I was jotting down to myself at the start of the match. If you if they worked it smart, you'd believe it, but they won't because Darby has no restraint or common sense. And that's pretty much the prophecy came true. And you, I'm not going to critique the match. At this point, everything Darby does, it's overdone, it's overbooked, it's ridiculous that he can withstand all of this. And he's going to just demolish his body he you know you could do this in a much more controlled way and get the same point across and he could be a valued part of the roster for years but nevertheless having said that buddy is great this is the first time i've been able to sit and look at him with anybody that remotely resembling a goddamn decent opponent and without the other members of the group in the way he's got physique He's got strength. He can move like a cat. He was really, you could tell he was out there trying to get over because he had a chance to actually do something for once. His shit looked good. Here's the problem. The House of Black, as we've talked about, it's, there's not even debate on this now, is a stinky, rotten fucking gimmick and has been since the start. And Malachi Black, everything he's done has stunk because it's all a mind game spooky bullshit instead of just being mean fucking wrestlers. As a name, Buddy Matthews might as well be Nobody Jones. I don't know why that, especially for a guy in a spooky group. I know he couldn't use his previous name, which I believe was Buddy Murphy. But goddamn, this is the... Things will be better this once I'm the, rid of the Murphy part of it. <laughs> yeah, let me get rid of Murphy. That was the choice he made. Nobody is developing talent before putting them on television anymore. 
except the WWE, and they they don't develop them. They fucking sanitize them, homogenize them, and pasteurize them. But as far as just what would be done, Gary Hart used to talk about developing talent, tweaking a gimmick, or giving a guy a gimmick, or you know bringing something out of him here and there. Nobody's doing it now. They go to the indies, and the, the guys come up with their own shit, and then... Tony or whatever other Mark is in, in charge of whatever other company signs the indie darling and puts them on TV exactly like they are. Buddy Matthews is a guy that if you took the human being standing there with that physique and that ability to work and do moves and the athleticism and the strength and etc., and you gave him a name and a decent looking but not far out but cool gimmick, and keep Julia Hart in his fucking corner, then you'd have something and people'd be interested. But instead, it's a goofy name and a goofy group and being booked here, there, hither, and yon with no fucking focus and nobody's developing the guy. Because, and as we've seen, most of these young guys, young green talent, need to be saved from their worst instincts about what their names and gimmicks ought to be. So, anyway, before putting them out there and beating them into black and then deciding, hey, they're good, I'll start using them. Well, you've already beat them into black. Figure this shit out beforehand and have a fucking strategy. I don't remember that I ever changed anybody's name that I had debuted in any company that I was responsible for, except in, in OVW when it would be decreed from high above. And I would argue and couldn't get out of it because once you ever, unless I'm not talking about the name change, like, you know, the guy fucking renounces his country and joins the, you know, foreigners and becomes Crusher Khrushchev, or I'm talking about just changing a guy's name and or gimmick after you've already presented him on your television. That just makes you look like a blithering fucking idiot. If I had a plan for somebody, or if I didn't have a plan for somebody that I even remotely thought I wanted to use, I wouldn't put them on TV until I did. Nevertheless, here we go. Um, the match, the break spot was for no reason. <laughs> the lights go out. Malachi Black and Brody King appear in the entryway, getting a fight with Sting, and they fight off. And that goes, so we leave going to the break with a major fucking riot on the floor and the match continuing in the ring and we come back on the other side of the break and there's two guys in the ring and a match still going on and we never heard or saw from the other guys ever again. But the finish was Darby survived everything and won. Is that about sum it up, Brian? Yes. Everything. Everything that could possibly be done to a human body with the exception of one thing that I saw in a German video one time that I won't go into details on was done to Darby Allen, and then he won. And then Tony Schiavone gets in the ring and does Darby's promo for him. Well, I know you just had that big match over in Japan with you and Sting and Muda against Zabadaba D, and I know that also you're thinking this, and you're doing that, and you're going to be doing this soon. Well, what do you think, Darby? As he gives him the microphone, boom, Samoa Joe's fucking... Video pops up on screen, and Joe does a fantastic heel promo. 
on Darby Allen. He sounds like a badass. He looks like a badass. He's got the verbiage. He has bass in his voice. Sounds like a man. Again, this is the this is the thing that you do when you bring a guy in. How long's Joe been there now? Four months, five months, maybe six months. I don't know. Every week, the first six weeks, he should either speak in a manner like this or beat the shit out of somebody and pin them. But instead, they come in, they do some jobs, then somebody gets an idea, and then they start doing these brilliant promos when the fans have already decided they know how to take that person based on first impression. But anyway, Joe did great. And as he finished basically saying he was going to just kick the shit out of Darby Allen at will, they cut back to Darby in the ring and he's, he's got his arm around the referee who's still holding him up to his feet and he's staring slack jawed and says nothing. And they play his music and, and we were gone. So that's the first time I've ever seen a guy being interviewed where he never spoke a word. The only people that spoke were the interviewer and the guy that was responding to the fucking guy was being interviewed without the guy being interviewed ever actually opening his mouth. But maybe it was better that way. What'd you think, Brian? Good match. Thought it was a good match. <laughs> and, uh, you know, with Buddy Matthew, Buddy, yeah, his name is Matthews now. Beyond the whole name thing, and the name's terrible. I think the last thing we saw him do in WWE, and maybe I'm wrong, he was kind of a lackey for Seth Rollins. And then he yes, fell in love and, with... and Buddy. Yeah, and he fell in love with Mysterio's daughter, I think. Or she fell in love with him. There was love in the air. I don't know where it was landing. And then he comes here, and he's immediately slotted in with the House of Black, where he'll clearly never be the number one guy. You could argue over who the number two guy is, the big giant guy or the big muscular guy who's not as big as the giant. He's always a sidekick. He's always a side piece. He's never in focus. Just like I said about Action Andretti earlier, it would do him well to not just be saddled in a tag team. If you had Buddy, if he had a different name, a different gimmick, whatever it was, but if you had him, even if it was in this form, even if it was with Julia as a manager. Yeah. And he wasn't just tied with other people, not just the House of Black, which is terrible, but just anyone. Just let him be on his own and work and get over. I think that would help. And, you know, we used to talk a lot about it. We haven't in a long time, the idea that in AEW, almost everyone has to be in a faction. It may not be as bad as it was. I hadn't really thought about it in a while. Maybe if I did... I realize everyone. It, yes, it, it it would be. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're still there. They're just not putting the factions on TV as much because nobody gives a shit. But that's what this. Unfortunately, that's what happens. Instead of I think to a lot of fans, Darby beating a really good wrestler in a really good match, it becomes Darby beat the third guy in the House of Black, and it doesn't help someone like Buddy. Yeah, Matthews at all. Well, an old buddy of ours, um, they did a package on Adam Cole. He was just in the ring and doing a voiceover. And I mean, in the ring, just walking around and looking, you know, determined and etc. But he's being presented as a complete babyface. So, which is probably the only thing you can do at this point. He's been hurt legitimately and out for so long. He's going to, 
they they miss him because he's gone away and they're going to be sympathetic fans I'm talking about because he's been injured for real. So you couldn't do anything else. But what they did next, they could have almost done anything else. Explain to me if you can. When Matt Hardy and the other page and Stokely and Isaiah Cassidy came out, what was going on between them? <laughs> you had... <laughs> They, the show had been going so well up to this point. Yeah, it had been going so well. So Paige gets on the microphone. He's mad because they played Hardy's music. But then he says, I'm just kidding. Me and Matt are okay. Because uh, we've agreed that I'm the star of this group. And then Stokely, he says, isn't that right, Stokely? And Stokely tells Isaiah to say that that's right. But Isaiah says, oh, hell no, or something to that effect. And then Stokely bitches Isaiah out and calls him a dead ass and tells him put his necklace on him. And Stokely's acting like is Snoop Dogg? Is that what what he was going for with the the? I don't know with what I don't know what you're with saying. the accent or the tone. He's going. He's talking like this up there. Oh shit! No, I don't. Is know. that how Snoop Dogg sounds to you? Well, he was dressed like Snoop Dogg. He was? And, and it looked like, and Snoop Dogg says, well, that, what did he say? Um, <laughs> Snoop Doggy Dogg's in the house? Or what? I don't fucking know. I started know. to wonder if you know who Snoop Dogg is. I, uh, <laughs> so, but there, Isaiah and Stokely are having a comedy argument, and then they play Paige's music, and then he goes to the ring, and it's, Matt Hardy and the other page against Hook and Jungle Boy. And it's, I don't know what the entrance was and why these all these people are acting interacting this way with each other. And I don't know we need to dwell on it too long. But I was watching the show live, so that's when Stace and I went to make popcorn. And Can you imagine? How do you think the firm's going so far? Well, you know, we had a really rocky start. It wasn't really working. We've had to retool. We're starting to get somewhere. Big Bill ain't so bad. and. Ethan Page, he'd yell at everyone on the mic, and he's not so bad in the ring. Okay, it's starting to go better. How about we give you Matt Hardy and the Remnants a private party? Remnants? The Remnants? Where's Mark Quinn? The interesting one. Um, uh, so, I don't know. But they did that, and they had that match, and Jungle Boy and Hook won. And then uh, the show was going well, but there, then it went in the toilet with what we just talked about, and and it didn't come out for this. The guns and the acclaimed family therapy. And they're going to fuck up and kill this, not only the acclaimed and the whole thing with Billy, but forever pigeonhole his kids as dipshits, too, if they're not careful. Because they're going to fuck this up, because they didn't need... The the concept of this is that Billy has wanted them to all sit down in family therapy with a therapist and talk about their problems and issues and whatever. And what they did was this looked like this wasn't even shit-stained Monday Night Raw stuff. This was shit-stained TNA Impact stuff. They got a girl therapist that overacted. It wasn't believable in any way. She did goofy double takes and phony facials. She was obviously either a rented 
model or some trainee or something because she looked, she you don't see young uh, attractive family therapists that look like that and overact like that except on wrestling programs so you couldn't believe it it wasn't legit it was goofy and then porn and it, well there you go it, that that was, she she would have made a great porn therapist that was exactly what this acting level was about and it was goofy to do it anyway in this setting family therapy the gun boys had good material but they didn't mean it they didn't seem comfortable with it or they should have got another few cracks at it they were they were saying some things their story was you were never there for us when we were kids and now you know they're jealous of the acclaim that's a great thing that you can sink your teeth into a jealousy amongst between sons and the father who's now associating with the other people blah 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 the best one in here was anthony bowens he had some good shit and sounded like he meant it poor max caster should have gotten a beat because his promo was not good. He needs to rap or rethink this. What I would have done with this, these same guys, except the therapist, which who needed to go back to Pornhub, do this as a sit-down with a real announcer. If it, Jim Ross, they were doing sit-downs with him, or Tony, or Taz. Somebody, and a grown adult male that would be sitting in front of it, or in the middle of these people, try to air out their grievances and let the gun boys legit dig into Billy a little bit. You weren't there for us. How, you know, when you were on the road with DX and being a big rock star, we were home with mom. I was five years old. I remember you didn't go to my football game and I, you were these fucking whatever. Right. And then he could fire back at him that he was out on the road, making money to feed them and educate them and give them all the things they had. That's why they're so spoiled now, because he gave them everything they wanted growing up. Yeah, you gave us everything we wanted except your time. And then the acclaim could jump in and say, we didn't want to take your place. Your jealousy drove your dad away. We wanted to be friends with all of them. They could get some real emotions up in this shiznit, as the kids say. But instead, it was scripted and phony and needed to be written and produced. Not even written, but just developed. You don't write this stuff. What would the real argument be in this situation? And they're, they're really the father and real son, so do it. But you produce it and you shoot it better where it doesn't look like phony entertainment bullshit. And then you'd have something. What'd you think again, Brian? I thought it was terrible. I hate this brand of wrestling skit. I won't even call it wrestling comedy because it was just a skit. In terms of a better way to do it, we saw that video over the summer of the Briscoes and FTR with Caprice Coleman. An adult yeah. sitting between them. There was even liquor involved. And they were <laughs> able to display that they clearly want to kick the crap out of each other, but they're not going to do it here. There are ways to do something like that as opposed to. Again, if it was someone who looked anything like a real therapist would be one thing. This was a bad actress. And she was the most unrealistic part of this completely and they unrealistic kept, segment. Well, you could tell they didn't do this in one take either. I would have, uh, honestly, if I was the producer, I would have had them sit there until they got it in one take. Because this is something that needs to be an argument rather than edited. And what they were doing was they were going to take facial takes from her to cover up edits 
And they were, you know, probably saying something like, act shocked, ooh, or what, you get everybody on the same page, you say, this is what we're going to talk about, be careful, there's going to be flying potatoes coming verbally, if we think of something that we can say to you, it's going to be sharp, we're going to say it, you have a response, or we'll apologize later, whatever, and then you sit down and you have a fucking argument. But anyway, um... Speaking of arguing, now there's more trouble in paradise. Hangnail Page has now knocked John Moxley out once already, like Moxley knocked Hangnail out, and now he wants to knock Moxley out again in his home state of Ohio. He's in the back with Renee Moxley Good. And the, again, this is, okay, we thought Moxley's switching heel, right? So then Page comes out and he says, yeah, I'm going to see if I can knock Moxley out in his home state next week, Ohio. So he sounds like kind of a prick. And then here comes old Wheelie Useless. And he doesn't speak his promo. He whines his promo. That I don't know, but it's scripted material, and he's whining about it. But he wants to fight Paige on Friday night's Rampage. So now is Yuta a heel? Or are these all just a bunch of backstabbing pricks that just want to knock each other out and we're supposed to cheer for them because they're the baby faces? I, I, I can understand, again, Paige and Moxley having the thing, but wouldn't Yuta's deal be going not to come in and be confrontational and, you know, but to come in and say, hey, you know, I respect you, Paige, but Moxley's my guy. We're in the group, you know, what? but it's all just, okay, now we're just going to be mad at the other people because the other guy's mad at you. I don't fucking know. We're not going to be behind any of these baby faces before long because they're all going to show they're untrustworthy and nobody can depend on them. Anyway, but you know what we can depend on, Brian Last? I have no idea, no. We can depend on Brian Cage to bring down the level of in-ring work no matter who he's involved with. I thought it this was this is going to be faint praise. This was the best Brian Cage match I've ever seen, but because it was against Brian Danielson, it was one of the crummiest Brian Danielson matches I've ever seen. It's Danielson and Cage, and at least it's a heel that Danielson has to fight. Remember, he's got to win every week or he doesn't get the title match with MJF. And MJF is now, as we mentioned, that it might have been a good thing first with good old take a shit first week. It might have been a good thing if MJF was actively encouraging heels to win this thing for him so he doesn't have to face the guy. And and Prince Nana's there, so you got a manager, even though they haven't utilized Nana. I've never heard him speak yet on any of these programs. And he doesn't really interfere. He might wave and distract every once in a while. So they haven't established who he is, why he is, what he's about, so that he can be a benefit to anything. But basically, Danielson did the best he could. Cage, for all the various reasons we always say, Cage is just rotten. But in the finish, Cage tries to buckle bomb Danielson, but threw him sideways into the ropes with the back of his head first. That's the thing you always want to do with a guy that's had concussion syndrome. And then hit him with a powerbomb and then went to powerbomb him again, but Danielson sunset flipped him 
out of the second one, one, two, three. Uh, but immediately, of course, here comes Cage and Prince Nana getting the ring to get on Danielson for heat, like in almost every match on this program. And again, that's another reason why. Who is that guy kicking Brian Danielson? The commentators say his name is Prince Nana. Who? What's he the prince of? And what the fuck's going on? Can he speak? Is he a mute? Nevertheless. Cage kicks like a girl or Tom McGee. You pick one or the other. But here comes MJF down the ramp, and instantly, immediately the intensity picks up, and people start paying attention. And MJF has a whole nother demeanor to him. He goes to the audio table, and he's throwing shit around like he don't give a fuck. He's not working clean it off. He shoves a guy on his ass. He's jerking shit around. He gets in the ring. He, he throws the chair in the ring, rather. And it just the way he's carrying himself and the intensity that he looks like he has, you can tell shit's business just picked up. So they do the deal where they get a chair and Cage puts the chair on Danielson's arm and shoulder and runs it into the ring post and, and boom, so Danielson's selling his bad arm, bad shoulder. And Cage rolls him in and gives him to MJF. And then MJF, he tears his, well, doesn't tear, but he takes his jacket off. And everybody's got the attention all on MJF. And he mounts Danielson and throws punches to his head like a man. Not windmilling flipper fucking bear paws to the vicinity of his head like the rest of these assholes, but throwing punches to his head like a man, not the sissy boy slap fight. And then he's going to go to pilmanize the arm. Obviously, the angle that Steve Austin, Brian Pillman did 25 years ago, that's where the term has come from, where you slip the guy's arm or leg inside the chair and then come off the ropes or whatever with a big stomp on that you're trying to break the arm. Well, MJF, Cage is holding Danielson down on the mat. The chair's on his arm. MJF goes up the second turnbuckle. He's going to jump off, and here comes our friend Take a Shit. And he hits the ring, and MJF immediately bails and runs off and... Old Take beats up Brian Cage and saves the day. I love the angle. There were two things wrong with it, and I will explain both. And this is in the interest of being constructive. Because, like I said, the match was so-so, but it accomplished the point. Danielson beats a big heel and continues his winning streak, so MJF tries to try to come out and help and do something to get rid of this guy. There were two things wrong with the angle. Number one is kind of accepted these days, and Brian, we've talked about it. It was a sports entertainment type of angle in the in the idea that nobody tried and failed to help before Take a Shit did. There was no bell ringing. There were no referees or security or job guys. There was no there was no no human intervention for quite some time about this heinous attack or even concern past the announcers before take a shit suddenly comes in and makes a save. So not only does it look obviously set up that it would take that long for anybody to come, but also you've lost the ability to build the tension 
and to build the drama in the building and the scene of chaos where, because if your first rescue attempt succeeds, well, that's great. Somebody saved the day, but goddamn, if you've got a guy hanging off a cliff and there's multiple people trying and failing to get him off to get him back up before somebody does, well, you've increased the tension, right? But that's an, an accepted form of, you know, wrestling today. It just happens, especially in the WWE. But use Prince Nana with a slapjack. Play King of the Hill. He's right inside the ropes. You got to try to come through the ropes to help save Danielson from these other fucking guys. And there's a guy that's got the ground on you, got the height on you. You got to get through the ropes. And he's got a slapjack. It works when you have a riot. So anyway, the second thing, and this is more psychological on my part, but see what you think about it, Brian. You, you remember what happened. Cage is the one holding Danielson down on the mat with the chair around his arm. MJF to make sure that he's the heel that gets the credit, the heat for the attempt. The, he had the intent, even if he didn't do it. I can hear somebody saying it now. Even if he didn't jump off the ropes, he didn't get a chance to, but he had the intent to. That's why MJF gets that heat, right? That's what some people would say. But he was the first one to run. And therefore, when Take was kicking the shit out of Cage, MJF was already to the entranceway and out of the picture. What about if MJF had put the chair on Danielson's arm and then sent his stooge, Brian Cage, up to the top rope. Say, you're 250 pounds. Jump off the top rope on this fucking chair. I'm paying you. And that means that MJF is the one holding and Cage is the one going to the top. When old Take-A-Shit runs down the ramp, all he has to do is slide under the bottom rope and stand up to the immediate threat, which is the guy on the top rope, and grab Cage and give him a big slam off the top, throwing him into the middle of the ring, which when fucking MJF sees that happening and sees Cage flying at him, MJF rolls immediately out of the way to the fucking far neutral corner. Cage takes the bump on the other side of Danielson because he's cleared him, and now take a shit, runs and hits the ropes and does the fucking spot where he ends up knocking Cage out of the ring. Cage takes his big bump to the floor. MJF is coming from behind Take to get him, but then Take turns around fired up, and now the only people in the ring that are up on their feet and visible to the people are Take a Shit and MJF, as MJF puts the fucking brakes on, puts his hands out, whoa, 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 kicks his feet up, falls on his ass, and then rolls out and takes off and then take a shit instead of chasing him turns down to see about Brian Danielson who's still laying there on the on the mat and now the doctor is sliding in also and you've separated that but what you've done is you've made MJF the last thing that people fucking see you know, when it, it, instead of Cage was the, the MacGuffin here, the red herring, he was just the stooge that was doing the evil intent. So he's the one that takes the bumps and gets beat up. But then MJF is the one you see and all the attention is on as he puts the brakes on and like a chicken shit, 
rolls out and runs off, and that's the last thing you leave in those people's mind. Take a shit, ran MJF off as he was about to cause Brian Danielson to get his arm broken. Does that make more sense to you? The way you just laid it out made a lot more sense. It's just a little thing, but that it, people's minds, they remember the final thing. That's where when some of these finishes are so overbooked, there's a good point in them somewhere. But the good point gets lost by the time everybody gets finished doing their shit and gets fucked out of the ring. Anyway, nevertheless, in the back, immediately after the break, the doctor was there and Renee Moxley Good came in to see about Brian's shoulder and his arm. And the doctor is saying, and, and Doc Sampson was okay in this, not a professional television personality, but it's good to have a real doctor saying shit like this. But Danielson was fired up. I'm not, I'm not too hurt to wrestle, and I've, you know, wrestled with this and that and the other thing. He had good emotion. He's coming to MJF. He's going to expose MJF. He's going to show what a fraud he is, blah, blah, blah. That, this built, the match was so-so. The angle afterwards and the promo nicely built to this big title showdown we're about to see soon. Did I miss anything in this segment? No, I think you got it all. It did hit me watching this that Brian Cage would have been a good fit for the Spirit Squad. <laughs> kind of has like that male cheerleader kind of movement in the ring, but... Oh, boy. I, th I think Tom McGee is a more apt simile. But, um... Anyway... Did you read so that Brian Cage is putting out feelers? His contract's coming up. He's putting out feelers to WWE. I read that somewhere. <laughs> did you read that, uh... Brian Cage is putting out feelers and WWE is putting them back. No, they're saying, no, thank you. We don't want any more feelers from you. Thank you. <laughs> We've go feel yourself. Go feel yourself. We're fine. <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, well, you know, maybe they'll put him on NXT and we won't have to see him anymore. Anyway, speaking of who's the heel and who's the baby face. So now Tony storm who, Two weeks ago was a smiling babyface and then was picked by Soraya, the brand new babyface acquisition, to be her partner in the match against the two heels that have now become the babyfaces because they're the homegrown girls. So now Tony Storm is a full-fledged, I guess, a heel biker chick. She came out in leather and studs and a surly expression on her face. Hey, every time she comes out, do you think to yourself, what heart song is this? And then you realize it's not hard at all. Well, no, it's usually hard whenever I see her. Come I oh, said, said heart, heart, heart oh, not I'm hard. Sorry. Okay, I'm Filthy sorry. Mad. <laughs> um, it sounds like hard. That you sounds what? like well, thump 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 thump. Is that kind of the tune? Anyway, so Tony is a heel now. Tony Storm and Soraya, their brand new acquisition, is also a heel because they hate. The homegrown idiots, uh, quote unquote, homegrown idiots, which is the, all the AEW girls that have not been on TV, except Tony is wrestling Ruby Soho, who is not a homegrown girl, but she's still a baby face. So they inserted a, a pre-taped little interview in a box where Ruby says, I'm not homegrown, but they've been great to me. So I take up for them. I swear, am I lying? No, you're not lying. It still doesn't make it less ridiculous. <laughs> so in this match, they beat the shit out of each other and they kicked out of everything. 
And then Tony was about to powerbomb Ruby, and Britt Baker's music played, and she came out to the entranceway 100 feet from the ring, and Tony Storm stared at her for a minute, and then spun around and went to pick Ruby up, and Ruby grabbed her and hit her finish, one, two, three. I've never, I've never seen that finish before, he said with his tongue in his cheek. Speaking of tongues in cheeks or in any other orifices, who the fuck's got theirs up Tony's ass in this? Do, do any of the girls want to be booked like this? I get maybe it, for Britt Baker. Well, no, it doesn't make any sense that Britt Baker is a babyface now because then Jamie Hayter can't turn on her and become a babyface that the people want her to be. They have. They, they've well, she's going to turn on Jamie now. Well, eventually, not now, but. Well, but no, the people wanted Jamie to be the baby face. They were cheering for her. They wanted her to turn on Brit. Now, if they do it the other way around, it won't make any sense. And it doesn't work anyway now, because Brit's a baby face too now. Because she's homegrown. She's the Folgers coffee of AEW. She's, she's mountain grown. They should come out there and say, we're homegrown. You know what that means. You've never been injured like you're about to be injured in a match with us. <laughs> <laughs> we may land on your face, may break your leg, may throw you through an invisible table, drop you right on the apron head first. You never know what could happen against homegrown. That's right, baby. Because maybe they call them homegrown because you have to be high to fucking work that bad. Nevertheless. Chris Colt worked better when he was high, they said. Well, but he had it to begin with. So anyway, uh, so I don't know. Pick pick whose side you're on with the girls, like we do everybody else. I was on. I needed a break. Uh, <laughs> that was the side I was on for this match. But then again in the back, and I, I like that they, MJF does need to talk every week, but he doesn't need to come out and do a live interview every week. And we had seen him in the live interaction before. So I like that it's not just the typical backstage 30 second throwaway thing with him but they give him time to develop shit because he was in the back and he cut a promo on on take a shit and danielson and again it gets old when we say this but he's two levels above everybody else verbally it's his own material you can tell it's obvious he delivers it with emotion and, and inflection and spontaneity in a lot of cases, you can buy that it's he's just rattling it off the top of his head. And part of that is because that's what happens when you are doing your own shit, not something that somebody else told you to say. That's why people, you say, well, Cornette, he comes up with that shit off the top of his head. Yeah, I did. I wouldn't have been able to do it as well if somebody had given me two minutes of material and told me, say it just like this. So. The point is, it, it was another, nobody else is this good at cutting a biting heel promo. I, I think that, that Punk is in the camp as far as a guy that can talk to, to the people and be a baby face and have that, you know, that, uh, that group mentality where we're all in this, he can rally them like that. There's people that are comparable, but nobody in the same genre right now as MJF. And he called Regal Ellen DeGeneres on meth. So anyway, next week 
It's going to be Brian Danielson against Timothy Thatcher. How about that? Where the fuck has he been? He was on NXT back when we liked it, and then they ruined it, and we stopped watching it. He was gone, and but now he'll be on AEW television. So that will be, it'll be not only I would think hard hitting, but also highly technical, and and I'm looking forward to seeing that. Any any comments on your your fellow? Your fellow member of the Jewish faith, Brian. Member of the tribe is what we would say. I know, good promo. Now, is the tribe, is that, is that a racist comment? If you're not a member of the tribe, could I get away with saying something like that? It sounds unsavory. That's, that sounds derogatory. Yeah, that's would, a good question. I mean, would, would you be able to, if a guy, if, a, if a, these basketball players, they're getting from Africa and Nigeria and whatever. If you said, well, what tribe is he from? Would that, you goddamn, you'd get canceled. Yeah, you couldn't say and I could say it. I could turn to a fellow Jew and say, oh, he's MOT or he's a member of the tribe. And they would understand what I was talking about. If you said, that guy over there is a member of the tribe. Now you'd get yourself beaten. Well, see, that, that isn't something I'd say because I wouldn't even really come up with that terminology to begin with. But since you said it, that's why I was bringing I it say up. It, yes. I didn't. I didn't know that was a, a thing. It was. But yes, my fellow like, Long Islander did a good promo. And uh, remember, wait a minute. Remember back at the Great American Bash '86, the summertime, Dusty put me on commentary, and I had the wicker chair and Bubba sitting next to me in the Panama hat or whatever, and the flower in the lapel, and we're doing the summer season, and and Bubba's bringing me pictures of, you know, uh, mint juleps and shit. And I had to get my mother on the line. And Dusty, we're in Spartanburg. And Dusty's in the locker room. He said, okay, you got the phone sitting next to you, baby. We come back. You say, you're going to get your mother on the line about this. This ain't going to stand. You're going to make sure she knows about this. Some bullshit going on, baby. And you get, and somebody answers and you say, you're calling the diamond mine, your mother's diamond mine in South Africa. And they answer the phone and you say, can I speak to my mother? And you say, well, who's running shit down there? Well, who's the head, you bangy? <laughs> okay. So I said, I said, well, who's running the diamond mine down there? Well, who's the head, you bangy? They don't have you bangies in South Africa, from what I've found out sitting the 40 years <laughs> since then. But nobody complained about it, but Dusty loved that line. He's like, well, I asked him, who's the head, you bangy? So the idea is your mom would be at the mine? She'd be at the mine. She'd be herself? at the mine, and yeah, you know, we didn't think that one completely through, but it was good for the "Who's the head you bangy" line. I'm so rich, I stay at the mine. I yeah. don't even leave the mine. Uh, but no, good promo, as I was saying. And um, <laughs> Timothy Thatcher versus Danielson. I have to say, next week's show has some intriguing matches. That match: Moxley versus Adam Page, Darby versus Samoa Joe. It could be a really good if the crowd's hot. It could be a really, really good show. Well, speaking of a hot crowd, the main event was up and they were ready for this. And you could tell that, I mean, the the people knew what was going on. They'd seen the, the video earlier in the night, but you could tell that they were, they obviously, they had heard the news. They knew what was happening. They knew who the Briscoes were. So the people that were there were obviously up on this situation and Again, give Tony Khan all the credit in the world. He brought in Ian Riccoboni and Caprice Coleman to do the color, along with Sockface, who didn't have the courtesy to bow out and let them do it. He brought Bobby Cruz in to do the ring announcing. I know that meant a lot to Bobby Cruz. And 
it, this is the time where, okay, yes, Jay Lethal is a, a heel now, but this is the time you can let that go. And I'll be the one to say that. And that's what they did. They had Sanjay come out halfway down the aisle with Lethal and then hug him and go back because they weren't going to be doing any distraction spots or whatever. And you could tell from the, the start, Jay was about ready to cry by the time he got in the ring. And it was the same thing when Mark had come out, who got a huge pop as soon as, reach for the sky, boys! The people popped, and Mark came out and milked it, and they the, the fans were into it, the in-ring intros, and Bobby Cruz gave it the big fight kind of feel. Their new producer has upgraded the TV look, the better lighting, better color. The in-ring handhelds on the intros, the jib shots made the crowd look big. There's an upper deck in Rupp Arena that's bleachers. It's not even seats, and that's how they get so many people in there. And they tarp that off, and the way that they set the building up and shot it this time, remember I said here a few months ago, AEW sometimes has people, but you can't see them. Well, this, the jib shots and the flyovers, they... You, could, you couldn't see any empty seats, but it looked like a big crowd. So this, the match, everything was, was, getting, it was, was hitting on all cylinders here. And then they had the match, and both these guys can work. And Mark, not only, I talk all the time about a guy like Johnny Gargano. Because, yeah, he can do all the moves impeccably and he looks like ned and he's got no size and no facial and no personality mark briscoe's guy he can do all these moves but also he's got the face he's got the personality he works the redneck kung fu he's so natural it's not good it's goofy in a real and good way coming from mark because it's him it's not just foolishness and these guys they they did all their stuff they did a chop trade but they made it work because it wasn't like, here, now you hit me now. And I, they were firing at each other. All their work looks good. They're so experienced. They fed each other so easily. They were Each one of them was in the right place at the right time for whatever was coming up. The match made sense. And then Mark, as it goes on, starts trying for the J-Driller, the double-arm pile driver in honor of Jay. And Jay had beaten, Jay Briscoe had beaten Jay Lethal for the Ring of Honor world title with that move. When Jay hit the lethal injection, Mark rolls to the floor so he can't be pinned. Jay has to go out and get on him, and they have a fight on the floor for the first time in the match. It was late in the match at that point. And again, I'm not critiquing the whole match back and forth because it was it was beautiful. And there was a, I can give you a play-by-play, -play, but there was nothing wrong with it. So just go watch it somewhere. But finally, when they get to fighting on the floor for the first time in the match, going home, uh, Jay puts Mark on the table and tries to go to the top, but Mark knocked him off to the floor and then came off the apron, hit him a blockbuster on. I don't know how Mark has continued for all these years to take those bumps like that and still be as in good a shape as he's in. But he hits the blockbuster off the apron, which was first real big, hard floor bump, then puts lethal on the table, goes to the top rope and gives him the froggy bow. And it was beautiful. He couldn't have hit it any better in a better place, exactly on the table and next to his opponent that you would for perfection. And both of them sold it like they were just out. And the fans chanted, holy shit. 
And that was the big fucking bump. And that's what they wanted to see. And then Mark rolls JN, covers him, gets a two count. There's a pop again. Mark goes for the J driller. Jay gets out of it. Mark ends up hitting two big clotheslines. Boom, boom. And then the Jay driller. That's a, the other thing they wanted to see. One, two, three. And did you hear what you don't hear a lot anymore, especially because as we talked about these modern finishes coming out of nowhere or these tap outs after they've been in a stationary hold for 45 seconds, it's always better when you're building a finish that you can make people anticipate, will we get it? Will we not? Will we get it? Will we not? And then when it gets hit, the people counted along with the one, two, three, along with the referee. They knew that was the finish. They knew they weren't going to get swerved or screwed because that's what it had to be. And some other people, some other place may have thought that and said, well, so we'll swerve them. We'll fool them. If he had kicked out of that J driller it had kicked, I don't care if Mark had immediately then small packaged him or tapped him out or whatever, it would have killed the whole goddamn match. That was the point. That's what they built to. And that's what the people wanted to see. And a lot of times in wrestling, you have to be smart enough to give the people what they want to see, even if everybody knows that's what's going to happen. I think ahead to Cody Rhodes' Royal Rumble, but I will back up to this match. It was perfect. What a pop. It, the move got a pop. They counted with the, the three count of the referee, and the pin got a pop. And that... and. <laughs> Again, Jay was crying, and Mark got down and spoke to Jay's kids and to Jay himself into the floor camera. You could hear it picked up on the microphone and then hugged Lethal. All the talent came to the stage. The fans were standing up. You know, I, I, the, the last image could, on the show was Mark Briscoe on the stage with a big image of his brother behind him. Yes, on the screen, the big Jay Briscoe graphic with Mark behind him and all the talent applauding for him and the people. And we hear now that Mark will be back in AEW and goddamn good thing too. But it was a great moment. What could have made it better? It could have been a little longer. There could have been more of it. I don't know that anything else could have made it any better. And at least now, you know, that the world didn't come to an end. And, you know, because Briscoe was on this television network, we will see him more. And can you imagine? We've talked about, well, they dropped the ball with Brian Pillman Jr. after the Dark Side of the Ring episode on his dad. That was, that is true, but it was also minor. It could have been a step up for Brian Pillman Jr., but not instantly catapult himself into you know the main event situation can you imagine not only a baby face that the fans would like to cheer for more but a brand new talent that they could bring in as a baby face that would be able to work at a higher level against more of the different people on this roster than Mark Briscoe right now as well as the natural element of this guy, if they act quickly and smartly, could very well be in the next month the most popular motherfucker on the roster. 
Yeah, I think it could be somewhat similar to like when Eddie Guerrero went to ECW. You know, we didn't know what to expect. He was on his own for the first time in the States, really, that anyone had seen. You know, he'd been part of a pretty notorious tag team just months earlier. And he classed up the place, and it was a nice thing to drop in the middle of that division. It's going to be interesting watching Mark on his own going forward. But I kind of had the same thought you did. If they use this guy right, and with AEW, that always is something you have to say, because things happen. He could be the biggest baby face in that company. And he's so unique. I mean, just the noises he was making during his match. No yeah. one else on that show makes any noise except if it's to say, you know, what the move is. <laughs> they call their spots louder than they make any noises or grunts. I couldn't critique this match in any fair way. I didn't watch it the way I watched Norman match. I was just smiling. I was happy yeah. about it. And I think AEW did a fantastic job uh, fighting for the Briscoes, helping the Briscoes, and at the end of the day, getting Mark on this show, knowing Mark will be there going forward, and knowing that the last image on this episode, after all the drama, was Mark Briscoe with all the wrestlers wearing shirts honoring his brother, and a big image on the screen of his brother. That was the final image of this episode. It was perfect. And again, if I was Tony Khan, I'd... <laughs> They signed the Briscoes to whatever they signed them for for Ring of Honor because they couldn't be in AEW. I would immediately renegotiate that with Mark Briscoe for three years and say, Mark, and because he's talked about wanting to take care of the family. Well, let him work for it, but pay him what he's going to be worth. And I say that Mark Briscoe, if used properly with his talent, can be one of the two or three most popular wrestlers on Tony Khan's roster for the next couple of years. And not just because of, of the accident with Jay. That may have been the, the catalyst to get Mark on this television program to begin with, but now due to his own attributes, they're already predisposed to like him because of what's happened. And if he gets to show what he can do, the mother, you can't help but like this motherfucker. And, and, and he gets over. So I would, I would give him a singles contract and I would start thinking about him in that position. If I was Tony, as quickly as I could, because you got to capitalize and keep it going. But I heard that a lot of the fans responded to this program, that they were over... Their average was over a million for the first time since, what, September? And I know nothing about the quarter hours, so my question, I guess, to you is, they did a better total viewership than they have done in the past several months with this advertised main event and tribute to Jay, but putting that, that match on last, did they do a better job of keeping people to the end from the start, as they usually do? Well, the overall number this week was 1,003,000 viewers, the overall average for AEW Dynamite, January 25th, 2023. But what were the quarter hours? We just, we, we just don't want the, the, the superficial information. We want to delve deep. Deep, I say. Quarter one, 8 o'clock to 8.15, by the way. This is uh, the work of Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics. 8 o'clock to 8.15. Action Andretti and Ricky Starks versus Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara, 1,126,000 viewers. And that's about what 
they normally start out. And one of these days, we got to look up and see what the Big Bang Theory of 730 to 8, what their numbers are. Actually, I'd like to see the quarter hours. Well, well, they'll only have two quarter hours because it's a yeah, half-hour program. Exactly. But, but yeah, but anyway, that's about where they usually start. Quarter two, 8.15, 8.30. The finish of the previous tag match. The Jay Briscoe video. Buddy Matthews' entrance, as well as Darby versus Buddy Matthews. One million three. Actually, that's the average of the show. One million three thousand viewers. So, this is the first time I can remember in months that they've done over a million and two quarters. They only lost twenty three thousand people, or twenty three thousand viewers. No, one hundred one hundred twenty three thousand. But last week wasn't it like two hundred or almost? It was a big drop, I think, last week. Yeah. Okay, so this, this, so they're holding on. Quarter three, eight thirty to eight forty-five p.m. The final seven minutes of Darby versus Matthews. The Samoa Joe angle promo, whatever that was. Adam Cole video. The Firm's promo and the Firm versus Jungle Hook. <laughs> One million thirty-two thousand viewers. Son of a bitch! So a. Uh, <laughs> Three quarters in a row of over a million, and they're increasing in only the third quarter hour. This this does not happen normally. Quarter four, 8.45 to 9 p.m. Continuation of the Firm versus Jungle Hook. The Acclaimed and Guns mediation session. Ooh. The Hangman Adam Page promo and confrontation with Wheeler Yuta. Ooh. 962,000 viewers. Well, not as bad as I was afraid. So, so about sixty. Let's see, thirty-eight. About seventy thousand viewers down. Because that was the. And now we're at the top of the nine o'clock hour. That's right, nine o'clock hour, quarter five. Brian Danielson versus Brian Cage and the post-match angle with MJF and Takeshita. One million five thousand viewers. Again, ha- can you remember a time where they did a mi- over a million at the top of the nine o'clock hour and that deep in the show? People oh. are sticking with this program for in, in much larger numbers than they did or than they do traditionally. I have to think that's because of the advertised main event and the theme of the show. They want to see what's going to happen. Well, let's see here, because this is usually where the trend happens, where people dive off. Quarter six, 9.15 and 9.30 p.m., the finish of Danielson versus Cage, as well as the post-match. I said the other thing at the post-match. I guess more post-match fun here. More post-match. As well as Danielson's backstage promo and the beginning of Ruby Soho versus Tony Storm, 947,000 viewers. Quarter seven. The final three minutes of Ruby Soho versus Tony Storm, MJF's backstage promo, the Timothy Thatcher announcement, and the Jamie Hayter video, 957,000 viewers. That is the, that's the biggest number that late in the program that we've seen. And finally, the final quarter, 9.45 to 10 p.m., Jay Lethal versus Mark Briscoe, 991,000 viewers. Wow. And they brought 34,000 back. So if you take out the first 15 minutes, because the Big Bang hangers on, 
and say that the show started at 8.15, they had 1,003,000. And an hour and 45 minutes later, they have only lost 12,000 of those. That is unheard of for AEW. Every week we do this, and they lose 25-30% of their audience they start with by the end of the goddamn show. In this case, you know, they only lost... From the start of the thing with the Big Bang holdovers, they only lost uh, 135,000 viewers out of starting with 1.1 million. That's a little over 10%. That is massively better. And they've never had, I can't remember they had 4 million people quarters. The first three and number five. And when's the last time? definitely before they started putting the twinkle toes and the buckaroos in the main event spot, the last time that the last 15 minutes actually gained more viewers than the previous two quarters had and was comparable with the start of the nine o'clock hour. People stayed. They wanted to see the whole show. They didn't want to miss anything because they wanted to hear about Jay. Everybody else on this program for good, bad, or indifferent is on the program on a regular basis, and this doesn't happen. But they stuck around to see Mark and Jay and anything to do with Jay Briscoe. Well, it'll be interesting to see how many come back. Like we said earlier, a big show next week, three big matches at least that I could think of. That's AEW Dynamite. Unexpected goodness. We don't normally get uh, unexpected goodness from our Wednesday night AEW, but in this case we did. And, you know, unexpected goodness is a thing you always want to have, Brian. No matter what's going on in your life, you want good things to happen unexpectedly. You want good news that you hear on the phone or on the news. You want, you want good things to be delivered to your home that give you a smile and make you happy. And you weren't expecting it that day. It just showed up. It was unexpected goodness. It was even awesome. Maybe. You could term it that way. Could you not? Yes, I believe yes, so. Yes, it was an interesting, long-winded, yes. unwieldy question. I couldn't figure That's out where you were going. I was, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get it here, folks. I'm rounding the bend right now. If you want unexpected goodness in your daily life, Figure out how to go to the place that I'm about to tell you how to go and set up a box of awesome from our friends at Bespoke Post. Because we've been talking about this for the past several weeks now, folks. The, the friends of ours at Bespoke Post, it's an operation that hand curates items that you might not have ever heard of or know that you need from small businesses across the country. I mean, we're talking... Cozy essentials, travel must-haves, cocktail kits, knives, craftswork of all various kinds, all kinds of, they got hundreds of options that you can choose from in the Box of Awesome. And what you do is you go to boxofawesome.com and you take the little quiz and your answers help them pick the right Box of Awesome for you. I think it should be Box of Awesomeness, but maybe they were afraid that would be too long of a name. But they come up with a new box every month across a ton of different categories. So if you pick a certain thing you're interested in, they will have different boxes every month with the main theme being that interest. 
and each box is worth about $70, but you only pay a fraction of that price, just a mere, a minuscule part of that price, a very, a soupçon, a veritable drava of that amount. And with each box of awesome, you're supporting small businesses because 90% of everything that comes in your box of awesome is from one of these small up and coming brands like Don's discount upholstery and tax service. You know, so it, and I don't right think now, that's one of them. Well, I got my, uh, they had a, 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 a business card and a box of awesome that I got. No, and no, was that was some other box. It was not. And I, he said, just send him all my money and he'd sort it out. So that's what I did. I think you got a box of crap there. That's not a box of awesome. Well, it's definitely not awesome if it's crap. And if you think it's butter, but it's snot, you've got a whole problem going on there too. But like I said, 90% of everything that comes in the box of awesome is from a small up and coming brand. Apparently 10% is potentially some kind of anthrax in there. No, no, let's not even joke about that. They're not going to send any kind of deadly chemical. No, or powder. No deadly chemicals or powders. No, nothing deadly. Got to watch out for the gas though. No, what? Folks, it's free to How sign up. How are they going to ship that? Think about that. How would you know? That's a goddamnedest thing. When I was in school, <laughs> yeah. I got no. When I was in school, I got me one of those chemistry sets, right? And I was going to be a big deal, and I was going to have a breakthrough, and I was going to make a million dollars off of it. And son of a bitch, wouldn't you know? I did. I I invented a universal solvent that would eat through anything. Problem was, I couldn't figure out what to put it in. But when you go to boxofawesome.com, Ridiculous. you're going to enter the code DRIVE, D-R-I-V-E, at checkout, and you're going to get 20% off your first monthly box. And uh, so that means automatically you're not paying regular price. You're paying a fraction of the price. Then you're getting 20% off of that price. Holy shit. They're going to come investigate you for stealing this stuff if you get it any cheaper. You won't be investigated. Enjoy the good prices. They might they might run a little background nope. information. You are to... safe and fine. No background. Well, what they'll do is they'll they'll just look sideways at your file for a minute just to make sure nothing stands out. They won't do a deep check at all. They won't there's gonna be no more of these strip searches from boxofawesome.com. I can guarantee you that. No more body cavity searches. That was part of the settlement. <laughs> there have never been any body cavity searches or strip searches. It has well, nothing to do with the services offered by our wonderful sponsor. That's the statement that they made right before the suit that's was filed. The statement anyway, I'm making because it's true. All righty. Well, certain people take it that way. But right now, folks, again, go to boxofawesome.com. The code is DRIVE. You're going to get 20% off your first box. You can pause or cancel the boxes at any time, by the way. But it's, it's great stuff. And you're going to go and you're going to see all the things they're going to match you up with. At that, uh, at that incredible boxofawesome.com website. And that's all due to our friends at Bespoke Post. Okay, well, hopefully we've sold you a few boxes of awesome, but the WWE had one more chance on SmackDown to sell all of us on the Royal Rumble. And, my God, I've seen so many things. Like, I'm going to refer to my notes as we go through SmackDown, the, the go-home show 24 hours away from the Royal Rumble, right? Go-home show is, without Roman Reigns. Go-home show, but no Roman. But there's still some intrigue in the bloodline drama, the, the sopera. That's short for soap opera. 
they started the show with the tribal court package, and that's that's nice. They put these things together in wonderful packages, whether they're good or not. This was good anyway, but so that helps. But so now, as as you will recall, Roman has told Sammy go someplace and don't show up till the Royal Rumble. He don't want to see him. He don't want to hear about him. Whatever the fuck's going on. So. <laughs> The Usos pull up in the parking lot, and there's Sammy in disguise in a fucking hoodie. Comes up to Jay and and thanks him for standing up for him, and then they have the dog moment and everything, and they're they're all good, right? And then Sammy pops his hoodie back on, goes back out into the the dark, cold night. Punk did that one time. When were when was Ring of Honor in uh, at Center Stage in Atlanta WrestleMania weekend? WrestleMania weekend and. Atlanta was what, 2010 or 2011? I can't remember whichever one. Punk, <laughs> Punk did that. He put a hoodie on and fucking so he could come and visit the boys in the locker room and nobody knew he was there. As he's walking down the hallway, I just see this, this figure in this fucking oversized sweat hood and he pops his fucking hoodie back and gives me the look and then pops it back down again. Okay. Anyway. Uh, have I established that Raw and SmackDown? It's like Freddie and Jason meeting in the night. Uh, yeah. hey. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> well, killed four on the way in here. How about you? I, have I established that both Raw and SmackDown have the worst theme music ever in wrestling? God, might have just uh, Anyway, the first match, go ahead. I mean, what? that takes in a lot, the worst ever. Ever. Just- it takes in a lot just from SmackDown alone or Raw alone, because they've had some terrible songs they played ad nauseum for years. It, it just uh, used to be just nice music with bumps and action and things, and now it's all this goddamn... You know what? Uh, One of the most underrated things about Vince McMahon, I'll say something good about Vince McMahon, was his love of cheesy 80s jazz. When the WWF go. had saxophones for no good reason <laughs> all over the packages it was better they should bring back the saxophone that's what i think anyway the first match was ray mysterio against carrion cross with scarlet and i'm detecting buyer's remorse um crud the hair it reminds me of when the damager grew his hair out toward the end when he finally had given up on wrestling after they made him Danny Basham and he was so fucking unhappy with it. Uh, it just, it, the guy had a look and now it's gone. He looks like a fucking stockbroker. And of course they start this match and within two minutes they go to the break. And when they come back, Cross is already getting heat, which started in the break. And within a minute of coming back, Mysterio starts his comeback, hits a 619 splash two count, gets a nice pop. But it, it, at that point, did, did you watch this match, Brian? Yeah, I watched SmackDown. Okay, because Mysterio hits the splash off the top rope, the two count, and then Mysterio starts selling. And Cross is spinning forever making faces, and then he gets at like, like, what is Ray selling? He may have actually hurt himself. Whatever the case, but he gives, Cross gives Mysterio the northern lights and goes for another one, and Mysterio rolls him up one, two, three. So there was maybe six minutes of this match actually was on the air, and am I forgetting 
something or wasn't at one time like six months ago or a year ago, whatever. Cross was, everybody was saying, not just the promotion pushing him, but everybody was saying Cross is going to be a big deal. Cross and Scarlet, Cross and Scarlet. He, he's slowly slipping down the slippery slope. What? Yeah, I don't have any answers for you about what's going on. He went from looking like some kind of bounty hunter to looking like a guy who's like hunting for an apartment in Queens. <laughs> from from a bounty hunter to an apartment hunter. I um I don't know. I mean, he really was more impressive looking with no hair. You hate to have to order someone to shave their head. What's more of a WWE thing than that? They didn't they didn't have a problem with all of my OVW guys when they were there. Shave your head. Fuck out of nowhere. And I don't know about the Ray injury. I thought it was just as dastardly son Dominic did something behind the scenes that was off camera. It was the only thing ever done behind the scenes off camera. I no, actually what Dominic now uh mommy is having him study voodoo. So he stuck a pin <laughs> in the fucking Ray Mysterio doll. All right, now our boy Theory. Our boy Theory was uh, next up in the ring for a promo, and can you see him getting more confident in front of you, it, looking older, I mean more mature, let's not say older, that sounds negative, looking more mature, the beard, his the facial hair clothes, is a big part of it, yeah. facial hair, the clothes are better, he's looking like something, he's got personality, and when he speaks, he's got inflection, he's got emotion. He just gets started, and the New Day music, and I'm off. And here comes Kofi and Woods, and they're dancing and joking and singing their promo and doing snappy patter. Abbott and Costello got nothing on Kofi and Woods. So I, at that point, I didn't have a lot of time and patience. I hit the fast forward to see if maybe he'd beat both of them up. And here comes Miz to the ring. And I, Jesus Christ, I, I hit the next notch of fast forward to make it go faster. And in here, Lashley's coming out for some reason. Okay, I, I, now I slow it back down because at least here's goddamn star. And Lashley beats all four of them up and then speared Theory, who took a great fucking bump for the spear. And then he gets the microphone I don't know why Theory always has to be full-fledged flunky, why he can't sometimes escape some of the wrath in these things. But nevertheless, Lashley gets the microphone and says he's going to terrorize everybody in the Royal Rumble until he gets what he wants because of that no-good gum-bumping sack of snake feces, Brock Lesnar, and what he did to him. On the, and about the time he says this, here comes Brock over the ramp. And people, oh, fuck. Or over the rail, over the rail, and he hits the ring and just fucking boom and grabs Lashley, gives him the fucking F five, and says, "See you tomorrow at the Royal Rumble." So okay, now they're selling us on the Royal Rumble, and again, stars, stars is what Vince likes. But you know, except for I guess there had to be somebody in the ring to get beat up by Lashley for Brock to come out and beat him up, but I would just wish Theory hadn't been in it. The other ones, that's, they make wonderful cannon fodder. What do you think? I think Theory's great, and like you said, he's more and more confident out there and more and more over with the people, or at least they don't like him. They boo him in a different way than they used to. It's not that they resent him. They don't resent him for his spot. They realize he deserves it. But 
You know, this Lashley Lesnar feud is so weird. This is two shows in a row. He did it on Raw 2 where he just shows up, <laughs> beats the shit out of Bobby Lashley, who he last finished off in Saudi Arabia. I don't know what to think of this feud. And then, Where is it good? They then, can't be building to a Mania match. It's too far away. We can't keep this up at the Rumble and beyond. I don't know what they're going to do. Is this some kind of mathematical equation? Okay, Lashley gets to beat up four people, and then Brock gets to beat him up. And Lashley's mad about that, so he gets to beat up four more people, and then Brock gets to beat him up again. And as far as theory, I think he's at the point now where he doesn't look as young as he used to. And if they use him well, the fans, I think, are ready to accept him and treat him like he belongs at that level. But if they jerk him around too much... Like, right now is the point in time where, like, the next few years will be determined. If they jerk him around too much, people just think he's another jerk-off. Well, and because people have shorter, not attention span is not what I, it's shorter patience with, if you're going to be used as a flunky, they will give up on you quicker than they used to. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And and also, just theory, he, besides it, not only looking more mature, he looks a little dirtier. And I don't mean that in a in an unshowered way. I mean just in a, a little rough. He doesn't look as clean. And he had such shiny tights when he was younger. And <laughs> six months ago and everything. Anyway, uh, the goddess of wrestling, Rhea Ripley, did a little uh, package about the, uh, or a little promo in the back about the rumble and she can talk. She's the complete package. She looks great, works great, talks great. She'll be in movies. She'll be the female rock. Just wait five to seven years. But now they've uh, Lacey Evans may, maybe her settlement for whatever Vince did to her in the way of booking. I, I'm Stop not saying it. It was, be careful. No, <laughs> I'm not saying it was in any way inappropriate on a physical level. I'm saying her settlement from Vince's booking is she gets 18 restarts, as many as it takes to get over that fucking. Remember, we it was inexplicable how they stood her out there and did the hostage statements about she was mistreated and abused and downtrodden. And as New Jack would say, <laughs> chained in the bowels of a slave ship. I still like her entire life. I still what? like when she was a Southern belle who would just march out to the ring and march back. Oh God, no that, I forgot that was Persian. So yes, so she wore she wore the the outfit of Rebecca of Donnybrook Farm with a fucking parasol, <laughs> and just came out and made an entrance and left and and talked with a Southern accent, and then she was. The, the the doomed, abused child that came out and bared her soul in uh, what we thought was an attempt to make her a baby face. But then she revealed that she was mad about all of that abuse and she was going to take it out on everybody. And she was a heel of some description, even with the military service. And then that didn't work. And then I can't remember what else they've... And now they've restarted her again. And she's full heel. She's dropped the camouflage pants, but she's got a camouflage bikini. She doesn't come out and salute the flag anymore because she was a Marine and then tell all the people that she is better than all of them because she did all these things. I don't know what the fuck. But again, we've been talking about this since the beginning. 
she's the best pure heel in the ring with mannerisms and attitude and facial expression and etc. of all the women in the WWE. She's got size. She, she seemed to be able to work, but sometimes it's inconsistent. I don't know whether that's the stop and start of what they're wanting her to do or opponents or whatever. But at this, she's against Jasmine Allure, who looked like she was the size of a fat embryo. Oh, stop it. And, well, no, oh, I mean, stop she was, it. She was all right. My dude. She, she was, was very, good. She just was fine. plain small. Stop it. And very tiny. She wasn't that tiny. She was tiny. I'm telling you. I, I gave it for her birthday. I gave her a wristwatch. She's using it for a belt. Oh, here we go. All right. I'm just telling you. So as as Lacey is mostly woman handling this tiny tot that she's working with, she's got her in the corner and she starts standing on her and, her, and her, the sole of her boot comes off. Lacey, she's either got a wardrobe malfunction or a gimmick malfunction. This woman <laughs> is cursed. It's like she kicked an old gypsy. They, she was in the Marines. They sent her to Romania. She kicked Maria Ospenskaya off the sidewalk into a mud puddle. And was cursed. Even a great talent who is pure of heart and says her prayers by, by night may become a botch when she's fucked up and get cursed by the old woman that used to appear in all the Wolfman movies. That doesn't really rhyme, does it? So, no. The other girl was trying, and then Lacey beat her with the Cobra Clutch. And then she did a heel promo and got some heat. She's very bitchy. <laughs> And then she picked old Jasmine up, all 82 pounds of her, and threw her over the top rope like a sack of wheat uh, in not exactly the manner of, of a a modified manner. As remember, what is that goofy of, uh, oh, goddamn, uh, the girl in a oh, Athena. old satchel ass, Athena. Well, I, I don't refer to her as that. I was saying her yeah, name before well, you threw that nickname in there, but well, Athena. Well, that's the one that she drops on everybody's face. Remember, she picked that girl up and threw her over the top rope, something like this, and it, it was dangerous, nearly fucking could have caved the back of this girl's head in because she was going out of control, and everybody got defensive about it you know it was taken up for oh they they agreed to work stuff or whatever as we mentioned the girl athena is short and this girl had her hooked her and she way she threw her she barely cleared the rope with this girl lacey evans is taller she picked her up in a different fashion and dropped her over the top rope feet first and the girl did take a nice once she got her feet under her she went rolling back ass over tea kettle so that was a nice bump but i don't know what the Fuck, uh, poor Lacey. She is something is is uh, happening with her. I uh, think, well, let me just say, because you insulted her several times, I think Jasmine Allure for a young wrestler, I'm not saying give her a push or anything right now, but show some potential. And we saw her somewhere else. I remember her name. Did we see her in AEW? Was she used in the same manner there on TV once? But we've seen her somewhere else. I, I don't know. I have you been to the red light district in Des Moines? You see, stop it, Des Moines. Yeah, well, she of all the red light districts, city. that's where Des Moines. She couldn't make it to the big city. She's still working the road, the road shows. Ah, uh, <laughs> you're horrible. <laughs> did you hear the new the 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 short lived nickname? 
that uh, Drew McIntyre and and our friend Seamus got. You know, they have all the matches that are bangers. That's what they call it over there across the pond. Our friends in the UK and parts of that world. When it's a great match, they oh, they had a real banger. So they started calling Drew and Seamus the Banger Brothers. For about a week, apparently, they didn't realize that that was real close to the Bang Brothers. <laughs> and if anybody that's using our friends at ExpressVPN wants to Google-fy the Bang Brothers, the... Uh, Let's put it this way, Ed. Uh, uh, more people were not going to be typing in Banger Brothers for Drew and, and Seamus than Bang Brothers, so it would shorthand it for you. And a lot of the kids, especially the kiddies over there in the UK that look up to these two, would be introduced to a new variety of Banger. That's a pretty good name for porn. Like to meet people. Like, hey, uh, so <laughs> what do you do? I'm one of the Bang Bros. Excuse me? Oh, I thought you said... When you meet people is what you said, right? Yeah, when you, when you meet people. <laughs> no, I thought you said that's a pretty good name for porn like the meet people. I'm like, like that'd the be a meet great people. name. The meet people. Just type in the meet people. The meet people? The meet people. These, were, <laughs> these are what are in your porns, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, oh. and, and session wrestling. All right, uh, candid <laughs> photography. So they had a, and then we got Cody's package. See, we're just we're in the gutter today. Cody's package was up next, and it was really up. It was, uh, it stood for itself. <laughs> I'm telling you, they're pushing Cody hard. Uh, he's he's raring to go and throbbing to get into that Royal Rumble. Now, what, what more can you say about Cody's packages? They're, they All the girls talk about that big splotch right yeah. under his head. Hey! <laughs> I knew it was, it was a genetically uh, <laughs> a delivered splotch. It, it passed from generation to generation. A tattoo parlor to tattoo parlor. So, <laughs> anyway, so uh, up next, the very same aforesaid Banger Brothers, Drew and Seamus, are coming down the aisle for their match, and behind, from behind, a Cinderella story out of nowhere, the Viking Raiders jump them, and they just beat the shit out of Drew and Seamus on the floor, and the big guy cross bodies them against the railings, and I think it was, it was Drew. I think took it first when he cross-bodied him. He bounced off and landed on Drew's leg, which was sideways, and that didn't look very safe. But he managed to get up afterwards. A uh, Valhalla's outfit is so over the top. It's just, it. She literally looks like she has tried to stick her own head and body up a dead deer's ass. Have you? If, well, let me, I'm just. I have to take a step back. <laughs> Did WWE get offended because of the porn connotation, or were they afraid of a copyright lawsuit from you know Bob and Roy Bang of the Bang Bros? Bob and, Bob and Roy. I thought it was Bob and Ray. Bob and Ray Bang. Yes. Bob and Ray Bang. That's what their second career was. Yes. But, yes. <laughs> you know what? Were they more fearful of? Was it a lawsuit? I, Would the Bang Bros have welcomed this and said, "Hey"? 
our cousins, you know, but the bangers. Oh, the, the, ba- the Bang Brothers, <laughs> I think, have a larger viewership. They'd have probably got ticked off. I, I don't, I think they just didn't want, well, they didn't want people Googling other of the things that we've heard they didn't want Googled in the past. I don't think they want to Google that. We could have a crossover event. They might want to gargle it, but not Google it. New Raw GM, Christy Canyon. Hey, hey what, whatever happened to her? I wonder if she's still around. Boy, howdy, I'll tell you You see, what. you'd watch Raw to find out, wouldn't you? I would watch Raw to find out, but what I wouldn't watch Raw for is if Sika made a guest appearance. People, since we mentioned her, <laughs> the other day, people have sent me <laughs> some current day pictures of Sika. Will you stop? <laughs> she, she looks more like if Roseanne Barr had never gone on a diet. Oh, stop. Be I'm, nice. not, I'm not kidding you. She has to be 80 years old. She has to be 80 years old. Well, I tell you what, she's making up for lost time. She's eating enough for a 94-year-old. Can we get back to this? In case anyone uh, out there from the Samoan family is listening, we're not talking about anyone in your family. Uh, No, no, not Sika, the Samoan Sika, the porn star. That's right. Sorry, I didn't realize I was unclear. Well, I guess when I was referring to her as she, that should have been... Well, Some let's get back there. to uh, Christy Canyon. Back to the Vikings. Yes. Oh, okay, yeah. Because So they go to a break. They've laid these people out. They come back, and Adam Pierce is in the ring with Skid Row because it was supposed to be Drew and Seamus against Skid Row in this tag team tournament to determine the number one contending team. It's going to face the rat that chased the cat that lived in the house that Vince built. So even though Skid Row don't have opponents he tells them they have to face a replacement team and here comes ricochet and brown strongman brown Strowman, for the record that's what i said yeah it was close and i have never seen by the way a motherfucker look as ludicrous as flop dollar did in this he was wearing size 20 tennis shoes for those canoe feet of his women's leggings floppy shorts, a basketball top with his goofy dollar sign logo all over everything. And as I've mentioned before, since he's lost weight, he looks like a mattress that you pulled half the stuffing out of. You talk about and him the way Ole Anderson talks about everybody. I'm just, I am mesmerized. <laughs> I am fascinated. Does he owe you money? He no, owe it's you just, money? no, I can't take my eyes off of whatever he tries to do. And basically, since we know that any of their matches now, because they talk about buyer's remorse, we'll get to that in a minute. They've given up on them, so I'm just going to zip through whenever Flop gets in out of the morbid curiosity. So he never really tagged in for most of this match. And during the first part of it, Ricochet kicked him, and he took a kind of a pissy bump off the apron and made a mean face, and then Adana stopped Ricochet to get heat. And finally, he tags in. He does a big, big boot, cover, two count. He taunts Strongman, chokes Ricochet over the middle rope and tags back out. (laughs) And there's more Adonis. And he tags in again. And Flop and Adonis grab Ricochet to go like they're going to double arm whip him off corner to corner. But it was obviously going to be some kind of 
spot or something, but as soon as they go to shoot him off, Flop gives Ricochet a knee in the gut and stops him dead, and Adonis looked confused and just turned around and got back out. <laughs> and then Flop turned around and tagged him right back in with a pissed-off face when he realized that he had just fucked up whatever they were going to do. And that was that was it until then the strong man gets the hot tag and nails flop off the apron and then makes comeback on the other guy and then flop comes in and brown ducks the clothesline and clotheslines flop over the top rope and he when he, when flop took the bump he folded his leg up underneath him almost broke his leg when he landed and then strong man power bombed Adonis one two three so now. They are basic. Not only are they beating him, and in short periods of time, but they won't even hardly let him get. He just gets in the ring so that people will not notice that he never got in a fucking ring. Even more so, the commentators are starting to kill him. And oh, and yes, and they're making fun of him. The way Pat Patterson used to kill Mighty Joe Thunder right before he got sent away, they're killing him on commentary. So I wonder how much more life he has on this roster. I because the fact that they're doing that means they're told they're allowed to do that. Yes, and uh, well, not even told they're allowed to, encouraged to. And besides that, they can't like him or they wouldn't be doing this. <laughs> he can't be one of those people that's just a great guy to have in the locker room, but he's a shit, so we're going to try to get by with it. They're annoyed with this fucking guy at this point. Anyway, so then we go back in the back. Kevin Owens, he's doing a promo talking about the Royal Rumble and Roman Reigns. That's a lot of alliteration there. And he's going to take out as many members of the bloodline as he can tonight. And conveniently, here comes the Usos, and they start trying to attack him and all the referees and security and Adam Pierce, And everybody gets in between, and Pierce kicks the Usos out of the arena. You're out of here. Get the fuck out of this building. And, of course, the next thing that we see is Jey Uso in the back, the camera is in front of him. It's not like they're even eavesdropping. It, they, they've got a a tight, not a tight shot, not a close-up, but a waist-up shot of Jay talking on his cell phone, obvious that a camera and cameraman's in front of him. Say, hey, my dog, you still in town? I need a favor. So we know who he's talking to, and we know, obviously, something's going to go on with Sammy, but they could they just not make it look like we just caught him around the corner? Yeah, It's just these little things, Brian, that annoy me. I hate that stuff more than anyone. You know, I've killed it, even when you haven't for certain things. But I think, as much as I hate it and I prefer if they didn't do it that way, the Bloodline stuff has been so good yeah, that it almost makes you suspend disbelief of that. <laughs> it, we have to work with them if they're going to give us anything worth a shit, right? Is what you're basically saying. We, we'll work with you if you'll just give us some more good stuff. I will treat this intricate, long-standing storyline like it's part of a drama inside the wrestling show if you're not going to insult me with it. And they haven't. So I'm okay with it, with them, for now. Well, they're about to insult us with something. L.A. Knight comes to the ring with the hat and the Hawaiian shirt and a little bitty teeny tiny lantern and Bray Wyatt's entrance music. He's making fun of him. Of course, it was 
actually a blessing. He got to the ring much quicker than Bray does. And then he takes all the shit off and he cuts a promo. He's making fun of Bray Wyatt and Undertaker and, and all their spooky stuff and what went on and blah, blah, blah. And the fans are starting to get with his, his stuff when he, yeah, right. And they, I told you the other day on Raw, the fans are starting to choose him and get into his stuff. Well, but the problem oh, is what he's who he's They're all with. swimming upstream. They're not being given really anything besides whenever they give him a chance to open his mouth, he'll give them something. But otherwise, they have, if they had done something to showcase L.A. Knight in this feud before he was fed to this fucking gimmick murdering idiot. But anyway, he does good promo. If Bray Wyatt was a wrestler instead of a horror movie character, I'd want to see this match from what L.A. Knight said. And then there's Bray in the entranceway in the rocking chair. And blah, blah, blah. And he finally says, you're finally going to get to get to meet the man you've been looking for. And then dramatically, there's Captain Howdy in a skybox with fog. And nothing happens. Good and seats. they go to break. He's got good tickets. Well, he knows the building manager. Um, <laughs> this has been the cruelest of the programs that Bray Wyatt has had because L.A. Knight has been so good and a breath of fresh air and treats the stupidest shit seriously. The fans have started to react to his stuff. It's noticeable how good he is. You can lose yourself and get into these segments and then the lights go out or, you know, whatever. Spooky music plays. I don't know. I don't know if there's an organist behind the scenes. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but it's just all of a sudden it changes and it becomes the worst thing ever. And I'm watching this segment and the same thing happened. I really like LA Knight. And then Bray Wyatt comes in and nothing happens. And the same thing always happens too. Nothing happens. Ah! Commercial. What? Where did everyone go? How did they leave yeah. the ring? How did they not die? What, what happened there? And it's the same thing here. And the other thought I had watching this was, I just know this match at the Royal Rumble tomorrow is going to be a fucking disaster. And uh, I was willing to put money on that. Well, and they have still not uh, a Mountain Dew pitch black match. So whatever that means. There you go. Uh, skipping quickly over the Lucha suits against Marcel and Marceau of Imperium. That was a good match. You know, I know why you skipped it and I can't blame you. And we've had to watch a lot of wrestling this week, and the Royal Rumble was coming up after SmackDown the next day. I know why you skipped it. That was a good match. I'm I'm sure because Imperium, I I kid them about their names, and I I wish that one of them wasn't Italian because that kind of kills the whole, you know, master race fucking gimmick well, they got going on here. Well, Mussolini was Italian. Um, but but they should all be countrymen. Not that they should be aligned with the world leaders of the Axis powers. <laughs> I don't know if that's the wisest move. I think they should at least be German or Austrian. Uh, but nevertheless, um, Imperium One, Eastern European friends. That's what I think they should be. Neef. Nihilistic Eastern European I friends. They I should did be not Neef. I did not Here say. Here comes you Gunther and Neef. I didn't say you should abbreviate it at all. That wasn't my idea. 
Uh, I wish you'd have agreed. I wish you'd have arrested that idea. I'd given it an arrested development. Imperium one, obviously the, the other guys are the other guys are mostly a reason I didn't watch it. They're very good. And they're going to face uh, Strongman and Ricochet next week, and the winners get the Usos, and I wonder who's going to win the pony there uh, in the match next week. Um, it's not looking good for Marcel and Marceau. Or the uh, Usos. Well, I don't... Uh, but I don't know. You want to work with Braun? Oh, anyway, let's uh, Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, the the match we've all been waiting for, the last one, uh, Kevin Owens against Solo. And obviously, Kevin wants to... Uh, the, the Usos been kicked out of the building. Owens wants to take as many of the bloodline out as possible. And they started with a fight. And it lit, both these guys are approximately the same size. Of course, we are still being expected to suspend our disbelief that a pudgy, pale Canadian can go toe-to-toe with a badass Samoan. But nevertheless... Uh, they start the match. They're laying shit in. They go to the floor and they go to the break in two minutes. I'm like, what the fuck? You can't. They won't let you like any of these matches. And they come back and within seconds, Owens is starting to come back, goes up the top. Solo stops him, goes for a superplex. Owens stops him and hits a frog splash, two count. Solo hits Samoan drop, two count. Owens makes another comeback. Hits a swanton cover. There's Sami Zayn at ringside. Pulls Solo out of the cover. And Solo goes to kick Owens as Owens comes out to, you know, to pursue this. Solo goes to kick Owens and Owens moves and he kicks Sammy and knocks him goofy instead. And then Owens clears off the desk. And he's going to do something with the table, but Solo posts Owens and hits Owens with a chair. And then runs after Owens has been posted and then hit with a chair. Then he charges at him and Owens pops him up and gives him a power bomb onto the desk. And everybody's been on the floor at this point for minutes. And the referee has either disappeared completely or is doing nothing. I can't find him. And Owens hits solo with a chair and then yells at Sammy and throws the chair down and yells at the fans and then yells at the camera and walks out. And that was it. No finish, no bell. Solo, just, when, when Owens hit him with a chair, Solo just <laughs> fell over the, the barricade into the front row of crowd, and you never saw him again. And then again, like I said, Owens just was aggravated at Sammy and then just left the building. And where did the referee, I don't know what the fuck. It was an okay match, nothing wrong with it, besides the fact that they won't show us most of their main events or any of the other matches. They, <laughs> 10 minutes of entrances, and then they wrestle for a minute and a half, and then they go to commercial. But if you can't figure a finish to tell the story and still have a match and a finish, don't have the fucking match. I don't, what happened here? Oh, I don't know. I was just intrigued by the storyline. The match was kind of a afterthought to the storyline. Well, yeah, but what did it, it when you it, you're not left with boy, I can't wait to see what's going to happen tomorrow. You're left with wait a minute. 
Where the fuck did this guy go? Where the fuck well, did no, that guy go? I, I, was no. there an end of the match? Did I miss something? Did somebody win? Well, I, I disagree the with you. Ring. I disagree with you. I was left with, I can't wait to see how Roman's going to deal with the fact that Sammy disobeyed his orders. We could still be left with that feeling and somebody could still win this fucking match. I agree or they with They could that. call for the bell and disqualify somebody or some decision could be rendered. I agree it didn't have to be as sloppy in that area, but I still think people were people left that show wanting to Wait see Wait a minute, Roman sloppy was- in that area? What, what if they started a car race? And then at the Indy 500, and after 350 loops out of the 500, they had a wreck, and some of the drivers yelled at each other, and then they all just fucking got in their cars and drove home. I would tell you that Vince McMahon bought NASCAR. That's what I would tell you. <laughs> I don't think the Indy 500 is NASCAR, but I know where you're going. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I don't watch cars driving circles. Yeah. Well, let's see it. It's it's fun. They 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 floor it and turn left for 500 miles. You've Do you never like seen it? Such excitement. Are you out of your fucking mind? Exactly. I tell you, my uncle Tommy loved. Here's not only did he love auto racing because he was a car nut and everything. But he would listen to the Indianapolis. This is back before, you know, coast to coast network television of everything and, and, you know, uh, sports networks and everything. He would, he would listen to car races on the radio. Can you imagine a more boring thing than you could hear the, the rumble of the engines and the announcer is saying, well, there's number 14 old Dick trickle and he's coming around the far top, but you can't actually see anything. And here's the thing when we're all together at, you know, it's a holiday or it's a 4th of July, there's a big race or whatever. He's got to get WLW from Cincinnati radio station, right? So he's got to go out in his car in the driveway to where he can get reception on the radio station, the AM station, to listen to the fucking car races. Well, one time we had eaten, and he went out to listen to the car race in the car in the driveway, and everybody else was talking and doing whatever, watching TV. And finally, my mom closed the garage door and locked up and everything, and we all started to go to bed and realized, wait a minute, where, where's Uncle Tommy? He's still sitting out in the driveway in the dark in the car, locked out, listening to the race. They'd had a delay. He's just then he's knocking on the fucking window. Can I come in the house? I'd rather listen to it on the radio than actually go to it. I'd rather if you have a good commentator, someone who could tell the story well. I'm sure it'd be more fun to listen to the cars going around in circles on the radio than watching it. Uh, All right. Anyway, so that was SmackDown. Certainly was, yes. It certainly was. Are you going to be laying the smackdown on anybody over there at the Arcadian Vanguard Network this week on 605 or the Wrestling News or any of your other plethora of programs? Well, you can find out from the plethora of programs at the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Get information about all the shows on Twitter at Super Podcasts or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. I'm so pleased with myself that I spit that all out, that I'm smiling. So <laughs> uh, the wrestling news, of course, your yes. free daily wrestling newscast. Find out everything that's happened in the world of professional wrestling here and abroad. Abroad. 
here and abroad. <laughs> here and here and aboard. Here and aboard. Here and abroad. Hear all about everything happening in the world of professional wrestling for free every single day. No opinion. No conjecture. Just the actual wrestling news. Subscribe wherever you find your favorite podcast. Look for Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News, or go to thewrestlingnews.com to download it directly. Also, want to make mention of the latest episode of Stick the Wrestling with John McAdam. They are looking at Larry Zabisco, a deep dive on Larry Land. What happened after his record-setting feud with Bruno San Martino that caused him to disappear for a while before reappearing in Georgia Championship Wrestling in 1983? Hear all about that and so much more. McAdamPod.com or look for Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! Go through the archive today at 605pod.com. I killed my throat on that one. Uh, go through the archive today, 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcast. Thank you to everyone who's been downloading stuff from the archive. I really appreciate it. Every episode available for free at 605pod.com. The Mothership. And I'll tell you what, it's priced fairly, too. I'm in the free. I think give people free content and let That's them... That's what I'm saying. It's priced fairly. Yeah. This show's free, too. Hey! Hey, what, what, what was that? The contract? <laughs> That's your contract. <laughs> no, no! <laughs> now I'm going to make you eat it. All right, magically, time has elapsed. Not expired, but elapsed. And it is now Sunday morning after... There you go, the old time machine there. The way back machine. No, we didn't go back, we went forward. And now we have seen, we have witnessed... Maybe that's a better term for it. We have witnessed the Royal Rumble. And um, you we're going to talk about that. You can't say you didn't like it. It was a good Royal Rumble. Well, no, it, there, were, there were certain crimes against nature committed. But uh, it, it now, how do you say it was a good Royal Rumble? It wasn't a good show from start to finish. There was a valley in the middle of it we'll talk about. So the Rumble match was good. The main event uh, match was the good. The main event was good. The women's Royal Rumble was good. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, come on. It was a good match. That was fun. The, it had the right winner, but I will have to say it was fun. It was, was it fun for you? It was fun for me. Someone just tweeted out a quote before. Do I still have this up? It was something you had just said on the show the other day, which was, if Rhea Ripley starts at number one and finishes the whole thing, I will consider it a classic. Yeah, <laughs> so, well. So I wouldn't want you to call yourself a liar. No, I, 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 I'll never do that. Um, <laughs> so it was a classic. It was a classic filled with, I, they don't have 30, all right, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Because I just, I remember when, when I was part of creative, we actually had to book a card, a full card. We didn't have the luxury of saying, okay, we're going to have the men's rumble. There's an hour. The women's rumble. There's an hour. Now we got two hours. Let, uh, three more matches. We're done. What the? <clears throat> anyway, uh, there were a lot of surprises, and I uh, loved seeing Pat McAfee back on commentary. I actually listened to a lot of it because he was there. That's some energy and some life that we haven't been treated to in a while. But... <sighs> I like the Royal Rumble men's match. They started the show with it. 
And it's that's another reason why that the women's rumble was so hard to stomach because you've already seen the good one and now you're seeing girls do it. I I don't know how much plainer to make it than that. I can go into granular detail on how do you follow the steak from Morton's with the steak from Ryan's Steakhouse and or you know the fucking Western Sizzler and you, they're both great? No, if you're hungry, eat at the Western Sizzler first, you're going to fucking think it's the best one you've ever had. If you eat at Morton's first, then try to eat that Western Sizzler. Again, you're chewing I think on Dalmatian. The Men's Royal Rumble was a classic. It was great. I think the Women's Royal Rumble was really good. And again, and again, they had a great, they had the best, probably the best worker they had. After watching this thing, the best worker they have on that women's roster in there from beginning to end. Yes, and, and it had the right winner. It just took a while to get there. All right, let's start with the men's, though. Let's start with the men's. We got Pat McAfee back on commentary. They're kicking the thing off with the hour-plus men's Royal Rumble. Gunther and Sheamus, the first two in the match, big man and big man, and boom, boom, boom. And then here comes the Miz. And I'm just going to share some of the notes that I jotted down as we go through the people involved in this. For the Miz coming in, I wrote, how the fuck has this guy worked here for 15 years? That's pretty much what I'd say about the Miz. And then here comes Kofi Kingston. And, you know, there's lots of action early, nothing important going on at this point. They're setting the stage. And the fifth guy, number five, was Johnny Gargano. Did you detect that nobody gave two shits when Johnny Gargano come out? I did, and I was actually looking to see the reaction. And I had my monitor here pumped up so I could hear the sound really well, <laughs> which is why that pop at the end of the show was so spectacular. And I don't think anyone cares about Gargano. And he was in there a while. He does flashy moves every now and then, and those will get a reaction, but... You know, you call him Johnny Same Face, and I think for some people, because there's a nickname there, you can't take it seriously, but there's a legitimacy to it, and I don't think the general public cares, and he's also smaller than everyone, and it's, in a Royal Rumble, it's really apparent, and he's not Rey Mysterio, so it's not that I'm against smaller guys, against everyone, I'll use Rey Mysterio as your favorite example. Again, Gargano's a guy who could run through the moves, but can he get people to care? The biggest pop he got was when he handed Miz off to, to Sheamus for Sheamus to fucking dump him. And so, I don't know. Maybe, he, maybe he's just a fluffer. Old Johnny, he's just the fluffer for the star to come and do the actual work. What do you think? Should we start calling him Johnny Fluffer now? I'm not calling him that. Well, anyway. So next, number six, here came Xavier Woods, and the New Day beat up everybody, did some flashy moves, then squared off with each other, and then did some kind of comedy circus trick where they jumped up in each other's arms and one played bongo on the other one's ass. Am I making that up? No, you're not. And uh, I would say I hate the New Day more than anyone, but Bray Wyatt works for this company. <laughs> so I can't yeah. say that. They can never be number one, but they <laughs> certainly here were number two. All right. Well, after the ass slapping, 
Here came an ass we'd like to see slapped, but nobody slapped that when Karrion Cross and Scarlet came out. And Karrion You want to slap Karrion Cross's ass? Oh, I was talking about the other one. He's accompanied by Scarlet. And he comes in and beats up the New Day and fights with Gunther. And as we mentioned, he gets less interesting every day. But speaking of getting less interesting, number eight was old Shorty Gable. Um, we're getting a ring full of underneath guys. At that point, I'm thinking maybe they're setting up for a giant to appear, right? They got to have some fodder in there. And the thing is, then Xavier Woods and Gable started amateur wrestling, which both of them have a background in. And as soon as they start doing this, the camera cuts away from the only good thing that Gable has done in since they gave him this goofy gimmick. And number nine, here comes Drew McIntyre and makes comeback on everybody and a big kick to carrying Cross, and Cross goes over the top. He was eliminated with a big boot. So, again, I think they've obviously decided, well, you know, this this ain't working out. As someone who's worked behind the scenes, although during a different regime, what should the fans, what should a smart fan, or what should any fan who really cares read into someone who comes in, gets very little time, and kind of gets tossed off? I don't mean tossed off or whatever dirty. You are making this show just X, 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 like raw. Right now, if you were in the United Kingdom, there's people laughing at what you just said. He tossed him off, did he? Um, Like garbage. Tossed off like garbage. Right now, Karrion Cross is being tossed off by the office. I'll I'll just say that. No, eh. I mean, they're not, it wasn't a nine second elimination or whatever, but they're certainly not as enamored of his future potential as, as it seems they once were. Let's put it that way. Do you think it would help him get over him and Scarlett would do that thing that Xavier and Kofi did? Yes. <laughs> yes. If it had been them, that would have got everybody over. So then number 10 is Pablo Escobar. And I wrote, it's kind of dragon, needs a pickup. And number 11. Daryl Dawkins of the Street Profits. Lots of action, nothing big. Gunther dumped Woods. Gunther knocked Kofi off the apron into onto a chair. And it was like the announcer started saying, well, wait a minute, Kofi's foot hasn't touched yet because he landed on this chair. And you know, Kofi is the the master of not having both feet touch in some acrobatic fashion. And then they, the next entrance, which I'll get to in a second, started, and they never mentioned it again, and we never saw him again. So apparently he just took that bump, and McAfee or whoever it was picked up on it was like, well, his foot didn't touch, but it was supposed to, I guess. I don't know. Did you see this? I did. I don't know either. Well, anyway, they didn't have time to flesh it out because number 12 was Brock Lesnar. And here we go. And I figured that they were, as I said, three people earlier, they were starting to line up some cannon fodder for a a star. And that spot in the Royal Rumble goes back to Pat Patterson, you know, first laying the first ones out. You always try to have Diesel had a moment one year, whatever. 
So Brock comes in and Germans everybody, and he dumps Escobar, and he dumps Dawkins, and he dumps Gable, and he suplexes Drew and Sheamus and comes face-to-face with Gunther. And just as they start going at it, Lashley music, he's number 13 or wherever we were at, but the camera cuts from Brock and Gunther for Lashley's entrance. And that entrance way was as long as, goddamn it, that was some small town's Main Street isn't as long as this entrance way was in the Alamo Dome. So by the time that he got to the ring, all the Gunther and Brock was over with. And Lashley comes in and spears Brock and Drew and Sheamus and slams Gunther. And Brock goes for the F5 and Lashley drops out of it and clotheslines Brock over the top. And he eliminates him. And that got a pop. And also, that's the best use of Brock in the Royal Rumble. He can't be in there doing the spot with all the other normal guys where he sits on his ass in the corner and you know, acts like he's kind of selling and keeps an eye on what everybody else is doing or disappears for a while or or gets beat down by some schlub for a minute. You can't do that with Brock Lesnar. It kills him. So he came in, destroyed a bunch of shit or destroyed a bunch of people, dumped a bunch of people, and then, you know, got a lucky clothesline by Lashley. This is obviously continuing. And then... He stays around ringside, tearing the desk up and shoving manhandling referees. And the next guy coming out is Baron Von Corbin, and he meets him at ringside. Brock does and gives him an F5 on the floor and then fucking wanders around and stalks off. Hits him so hard, he falls down. Yeah, that was that was perfect for Brock. So then, <laughs> here comes Rollins. And McAfee at that point, for everyone, he says, for everyone watching on the cock, Peacock, so Pat's a fan, Rollins basically rolls Corbin in on the way by and then fucking dumps him out the other side. So uh, thank you for coming, Baron. And now we're back to uh, the lowered expectations of the, you know, roster, because here comes Otis. And I just, fuck. Uh, and in number 17 was supposed to be Rey Mysterio, but apparently now we have heard, and then we alluded to something was screwy, uh, in the SmackDown review, he hurt himself in some fashion on SmackDown, and that's why they pulled him out of the Royal Rumble, so his music plays, nobody comes out, And uh, during that time, Seth reverses Lashley and dumps him, which was kind of an unimpressive exit for what he had done or been doing or his, you know, his status in the community. But then number 18 plays and it's Dominic with Ray's mask on. So uh, apparently the assumption is, the presumption is that Dominic attacked Ray in the back stole his mask, wore it out, and then ripped it up into shreds. Poor Ray. And during the entrance, the unceremonious dumping of Fat Otis, uh, he basically, they mostly missed that. And <laughs> while Dominic is coming out, he's got heat, and these people don't like him, and it's and he's getting into this thing. And there's Seth and 
Johnny same face in the ring doing complicated back and forth spots and nobody's paying any attention because they're watching Dominic walk to the ring. Uh, then number 19 was Elias. I didn't even know he was still around and nobody else cared that he was still around either. And he comes in with a guitar, breaks the guitar over Gunther and then Seamus and Drew dump Elias. And basically all that did was cut Gunther's back up because he was bleeding at that point from his back. Elias lasted what? 30 seconds or whatever. <sighs> Anything here trip your trigger yet, Brian? No. It's a classic now. I mean, again, again, it develops into what I think most people will remember, other than the Lesnar stuff, which was memorable. It all really starts from here on. It develops. It develops. It's a slow-moving it it's a It's a build. It's a, it's, a, it's a fluid situation. So here comes Finn Balor, number 20, and thank God he dumped Johnny same face. And then at number 21, remember we used to get surprises. Well, we got one here, Booker T. Big pop. He looked good as long as he wasn't moving too much. But he, uh, the people wanted to see him. He, it's in Texas. It's his home. He made a little comeback. He did the spin and then Gunther grabbed him and threw him over the top rope and got some heat for it. So that was perfect for, they got to see Booker do a couple of the kicks that he does, the spin and then Gunther gets heat for throwing a guy over the top rope that they, they liked. So that was a nice little spot. That was nice. I think it was a bad decision years ago to get out of long trunks and go into the short trunks. Well, thankfully, you're not a fashionista for Booker T's Goddamn costuming company. I think he he looked just. Are you saying he's got? Are you saying he's got? He's got bird legs, is what you're no, saying? No, I'm saying he used to look taller. I think when he wore long trunks, he doesn't look as tall as he is for whatever reason. Well, he's older now. He's broke down and can't stand up straight. No, I mean I thought this like ten years ago. I'm just saying it now because I wasn't, oh, oh, I so wasn't on the podcast then. When he he's was been active. old and broke down for ten years now, is what you're saying about Booker T. That's exactly not what I said. Well, sounded like it to me. I said he should have worn his Harlem Heat trunks. He looked cooler, and he looked taller. Well, maybe it, maybe it was cold in the building, and he wanted to look warmer. It was cold in a building in San Antonio? In the Alamo it's Dome? It's January. How cold does it get in Texas in January? It can get cold. Remember, they just had snow and wind chill warnings in Dallas Christmas week. That's right. That's true. Yeah, see? How far is San Antonio from Dallas? About 275 miles. All right. It can snow. It it can get cold in hell. You calling San Antonio hell? Number 22, Damian Priest is in there now. So now we got Balor and Dominic and Priest, the Judgment Day. He was spray tan five shades darker than I've ever seen him. The best thing about Judgment Day is it's like a gang where it looks like all the members go to different nightclubs. <laughs> Damian Priest is like ready for the limelight, and Finn Balor is going to go to the China Club. <laughs> Everyone goes to a different nightclub. Rhea Ripley going to Plato's Retreat or uh, possibly the Hellfire Club. So then Judgment Day are all working together, beating up everybody. And then number 23, 
Montez Ford comes in and announces, oh, Montez, what a great athlete, and Priest dumps him <laughs> within a minute. And in number 24, Edge. And this was a pop. This was a, this was the boom, the pop so far. Except maybe for Brock. Well, actually, even better than Brock because they knew Brock was going to be there somewhere. But Edge was a surprise. And Judgment Day shits themselves. And Edge comes in and speared all three of them and dumped Priest and dumped Balor. They had a great sequence, you know, set up where... You know, Edge could do all of that, and it looked natural. And then he had a stare down with Rollins, but Dominic came in and intervened, and Edge went to dump Dominic, and as he was trying to do that, Priest and Balor reached up and jerked Edge out, which we saw the other day in the Royal Rumble 92 with that bitter, bitter, bitter Hulk Hogan. So anyway... So now we got Edge and uh, Balor and Priest and I forgot who all else, but here comes number 25, Austin Theory. And again, as Theory comes out, Edge and Balor and Priest are still having their, their fight in the aisle and Ripley comes out and attacks Edge and Beth Phoenix appears, which gets a big pop, and Spears Ripley, which looks great. But it was all over the top, and Theory's standing back like, ah, oh, you go ahead, and then he goes to the ring. But Theory's entrance was stepped on by all the stuff with Edge and Judgment Day, and then he got in the ring, and they didn't set anything up for him. He didn't come in and make a big impact, or he didn't, Instead, take the opposite route and try to uh, obviously hot dog about I'm gonna I'm gonna tank this thing. I'm just gonna stay out of the fight and get attention that way. It just he got in and started. There's it doesn't look like there's anybody pulling for our boy there, trying to say no. Wait a minute, when he comes in, something's got to happen to you know enhance him. Anyway, number twenty six almost almost joined the Royal Rumble. And he did giant stuff to everybody and laid everybody out. And this, uh, I know it's a natural, I know, but you would almost think that Vince was saying, oh, we got to have strong man and almost in this thing because this was right down Vince's alley. Number 27 is Brown Strongman. And he squares off with almost. And they're face to face and everybody else in the match is sitting and watching. And they do a long, sloppy one-two, and then Brown clotheslines almost over the top rope and almost lands on his feet and leaves, and that's that. <laughs> I'm not saying, because it. let's face it, almost is not, he ain't Andre the Giant. So I'm not saying that he should have then done the same thing Brock did, because it's already been done and it would have been wasted on almost, but that's a... Kind of a hell of a way for the biggest man in the company to get eliminated. Clothesline over top. See you later. And then number 28, Ricochet. So finally, Strongman's tag team partner is in so they can work together. And since that is going to happen, well, naturally, Drew and Seamus, the Banger brothers, they're going to work together so they get on top of Brown and start gangbanging him. 
And while this is all happening and more fighting, Gunther comes up behind Drew and, and Sheamus and dumps both of them in one of those glommed up pile up things. So we're getting down to nut cutting time. And, and again, everyone's waiting for Cody. We've yeah. now gone through almost everyone. You're thinking, wow, this is going to be an interesting move. Cody's either 29 or 30. But he ain't 29 because there's somebody else that we didn't suspectify. Logan Paul. Thank Logan God. Paul is back. That, exactly. He's the best. He really <laughs> is the best. Sign him. Give him whatever he wants. And what did he <laughs> What did he hurt? He like tore something off the boat, I think. He tore his ACL, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, that's right. It was his ACL. And, we and were what, in what be on. in what show was that? What time period was that? That was the Saudi Arabia show. That was the last Saudi Arabia show. They did a second one this year, and it couldn't have been September. They tore his ACL. Hold on, let me look it up. <sighs> Please do, because <laughs> I mean that's normally six months for an athlete to do the things that athletes do. According to Jake Paul, he did not suffer a torn ACL in the match with Roman Reigns. On November 5th, he's doing better than expected, Jake said. They thought it was going to be a torn ACL. It turned out it was just the MCL and meniscus. Oh. He's rehabbing it and hoping for the best. And he'll be number 29 in the Royal Rumble. There you go. Oh, well, he didn't say that. No, no, he didn't say that. By the way, this is from November 17th, so apparently the news came out that he didn't tear his ACL, and we just didn't see it because it was covered on whatever website this is. And none of the wrestling sites have covered that. We got a scoop. Anyway, Logan hits the ring that. and the people hate him. And all the boys stop to look at him because I think they hate him too. And everybody gloms him and kicks the shit out of him. And then goes back to fighting each other and Ricochet goes to dump him. But he lands on the apron and comes back over and hits a buckshot lariat on Ricochet. And so I think... Old Hangnail needs to retire that move because Logan has taken it away from him. And then for doing that, uh, Brown power slams Logan Paul and Ricochet splashes him. And right then is time for number 30. And boom, Cody, Cody, Cody. And the pyro and the music and the long walk and the game face. And this is what they were waiting for. And he makes a comeback on everybody and people are feeding him and he gets a big pop. And then Dominic stops him and tries the three amigos. And after two, Cody stops, turns it around, hits the crossroads and dumps Dominic and gets a big pop because they're again, the guy with probably as much pure heat with the people as anybody in the match. Cody gets to dump him. and then. <laughs> It's great for Cody, but old Brown, strongman, powerbombed Cody and stopped him. So now Cody's switching fucking strongman heel. And I guarantee you he's thinking the biggest guy in this match left is going to be the one to stop me. And then at that point, that's where Ricochet and Logan Paul ended up on opposite aprons of the ring, looking at each other through the ring, standing there, holding the top rope, and suddenly... They both did springboards and came off the top toward the middle and clotheslined each other in midair and took the bump. That's a, that was a, that was incredible. I, that was a, that's a big ring. That was incredible. That's a, it's a 20 foot ring. So 
they met in the middle. They not only leaped up to the top rope and then leaped off from that, but then met in 10 feet in the air, 10 feet toward each other and took the bunk perfect. And I can believe Ricochet because he's very acrobatic, but Logan Paul's, it was this, his fourth match. At, you know, so that was a highlight. There's nothing we've seen from him that hasn't been impressive in the ring. He has shown he could do little things, big things. He could leap. He's got strength. He's got size that doesn't look unnatural. Whether it is or not, who knows? But geez, every time we see this guy, just make him a heel and run with it. Find a way to make it enticing to him. You're trying to hot shot? Get this guy on your show every week. I love him. He, I mean, he's the most obnoxious, dislikable person that they that is also a great performer that they've come. He's naturally dislikable. Anyway, I didn't realize you didn't like him. Well, no, I mean for the fans, he's a heel. He's a heel, and he's and he's and he can work. Anyway, then Cody Drump drumps Cody dumps Brown, and well, Theory dumps Ricochet. And we're down to Cody and Theory and Seth and Gunther. Not Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. And let me stop you right here, because it hit me watching this, and we'll talk about the other person there, but taking Rollins out of the equation, and I'm not taking anything out of I'm not taking anything away from him in terms of talent, but I've been sick of him for so long and he does the whiny promos and there's only so much Seth Rollins I could take. When I saw Theory and Gunther and Cody when I saw those three in there, and then, you know, you could throw Logan Paul in, he was just there. What an amazing Final Four in terms of looking forward to what WWE could be in the next year or two years. Theory, Gunther, and Cody, just those three alone, who knows how many dates you'll get on Logan Paul. Mixing those three into the top, that's exciting for me as a fan, to think about those guys being at that level. Yes, not only somebody different, but also somebody that we actually want to see involved in the mix. This is, it'll be good. We've got anticipation. But theory in that mix, too, I'm saying, even though the way they've been using him. Yes. I mean, you know, that's why I wish they'd use him better, because he's going to have to be in their mix, because he's the youngest one. Anyway, so Seth curb stomps theory, who took a great bump for it. He fucking went down, then popped up and staggered drunk-legged and right in the perfect position for Cody to clothesline him over the top. So, again, at least it was top guys and two of them that teamed up to eliminate him. And then Seth and Cody team up on Gunther and lay him out and then start fighting each other. And it's back and forth, but suddenly we forgot about Logan Paul. I don't know where he actually went, to be honest with you. Uh, but he returns from the dead and dumps Seth over the top rope and then points at the WrestleMania sign and all the people hate him. And Cody hits the crossroads and tosses him over the top rope. So again, Cody, he's either being stopped by the biggest or he's eliminating the people with a lot of heat or he's, this was very well done. And then we're down to Cody and Gunther and then they had a fucking match which was of ref- a little bit of a match, which was refreshing. No, they went a while. This was good. Yeah. Well, that's why I'm saying, I mean, they didn't have like a 20-minute match from there, but they went a while, which, you, you know, I liked seeing because now we, we haven't seen Cody in Salon. So 
and we haven't seen Cody against Gunther. And he chopped the shit out of Cody, and Cody sold. It was old-time wrestling. So this part I was loving. And Gunther beats Cody up, and Cody's selling his ass off. Cody's chest is just beat up and hamburger. And he started, finally, Cody fires the comeback, and he hits the Cody cutter, and he hit Shattered Dreams, not quite like Dustin used to, but it was a tribute. And then Gunther finally was able to take back over and hit a power bomb and throw Cody over the top, but Cody hung on. And they traded some chops, and Cody came off the top, but Gunther chopped him and went for a power slam, and Cody dropped behind and hit the crossroads, boom, and eliminated Gunther. And a big pop, and the music, and the pyro. And the stadium looked great with the wide shots and all the lighting and the blah, blah, blah. And that's what, again, I think, do we say this earlier in the program? This program's, uh, this, our show has been as long as one of the AEW pay-per-views already. Even though they expected Cody to win, sometimes in wrestling, you need to give the people what they expect they're going to see. If they want to see it, if they expect that they want to see something they don't want to see, but they're expecting to see it, maybe not. But because uh, I know some people were saying, oh, it's going to backfire. If Sammy's in the rumble, well, he wasn't. And if somebody else wins and they don't want to, whatever, no. Sometimes you need to do what the plan is because that's why it was your plan to begin with. It made sense from the start. So, yes, yeah, so I do applaud the finish. I applaud Gunther. I applaud Cody. And I applaud a few of the other bright spots that we mentioned that were in there. And, and it was a good rumble. But, unfortunately, it also at some point shows the lack of depth in their current talent roster. Or lack of, they've got plenty of guys. They don't have a lot of stars. Your thoughts, Brian Last. I don't disagree with you. And, you know, when you have tag teams that are just broken up and sent out there and neither one of the guys really matter, you kind of know neither one is going to win the Royal Rumble. You can't have everyone be a star, but they're getting Cody back. This is night one. He's instantly one of the top guys, just based on the fact he won the Rumble and he gets the title match at WrestleMania. Boy, Gunther's set up perfectly for a run with Cody after Mania, just based on them being the final two in here. You could have a lot of fun with that for a while. Yeah. And and the the way that Gunther can work and the way that Cody knows not only how to work but how to sell, that could be great matches. Go ahead. Logan Paul, again, we don't know how many dates they have on him and how much they're going to use him. But two things were set up naturally here. I mean, him and Ricochet may not be a big money match, but it could be a big spectacle that people want to see after this. And him and Rollins was set up, and I could see that being a Mania match very easily. And Theory looks really good. So, I mean, you have some guys that are starting to get elevated, and you got to think Braun Breaker's going to show up this year because they can't keep him down forever. It's been a while since we first started saying, when's he coming up? Yeah. Which was right after he debuted. Well, we, <laughs> but I said I didn't want him to rush him either because he is going to be the WWE champion in three years or whatever. And usually they bring up a lot of these guys Mania time, right after Mania, right before Mania, they debut at Mania, but right around that time. So let's say you get him in the next few months. Let's say you don't, treat Theory like a jerk-off, and you treat him seriously. You have Gunther if you don't mess him up with the booking. You have Cody, and Cody's stuff has been really good in WWE. And I've always been critical of the bad Cody stuff. 
You have Roman for who knows how much longer, but he's mixed in with everything else happening there, which is another top flight thing that's really good. All of a sudden, you have a lot of really interesting, compelling new guys at the top, and that's not to say they don't get anyone else and they put them there. If CM Punk ever becomes a free agent and he somehow ended up back in WWE, that'd be another name here at the top. If another AEW star leaves and goes to WWE. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe this happens every now and then. WWE has a pay-per-view and I come out of it optimistic. (laughs) But I felt a lot of optimism about the future of WWE. Uh, I'm going to say that I'm going to hate Raw or something. I I felt a lot of optimism about WWE coming out of this pay-per-view event. Optimistic. But don't worry, they will dash those hopes on the the rocks of... (laughs) Booking. There are still some other things to get to on this show that may change my thought. Well, yeah, because here's another one. They're still using Bray Wyatt. Um, the pitch black match was. I wish I could have been there to stop the pitch when it was pitched. Let's put it that way. So after all of this, what we got was a match where they turned a black light on. And had the guys wearing the fluorescent color tights and and or in Wyatt's case makeup and green confetti, and that was it was a it was a fucking headshot match is what they should have called it. It was a, they turned black light on and everything glowed, fucking glowing fluorescent Kermit green. Yeah, it was the pitch black match, not the neon light match. <laughs> it was just what it turned into. Yeah. And I felt like I fast-forwarded 15 minutes of Bray Wyatt's entrance to get him into the ring, and he had Chris Colt's Alice Cooper makeup on from 1976. And and then they started this match, and I swear to God, right as I had written down fluorescent ropes and tights, this match should be sponsored by Spencer's Gifts. And Michael Cole said that. So now... God damn it. I guess my material is rotten because Michael Cole is coming up with the same shit on the fly. Spencer's Gifts was the only place back in the fucking late 70s and early 80s that you could actually purchase a vibrator without a fucking being able to be old enough to go into a goddamn porn store. I'll have you know. Were you buying a lot of vibrators? Well, you know, they didn't make them to last back in those days. There weren't a lot of varieties. They were fairly cheaply made in China. So a lot of times, especially under certain elements of abuse, the base that turned, that would turn it on, would get cracked or loosened, and it wouldn't make contact. You'd have to pitch the thing. So how many vibrators do you think you've been through? What, from Spencer's Gifts? Not more than a dozen, 15. So then they have this match. And Bray Wyatt, he's doing plodding, flat-footed shit. And L.A. Knight's doing the best he can to bump and or sell for the guy. They go to the floor. Wyatt clears off the announce desk. And then L.A. Knight tackled him through the desk, and green glowing confetti went everywhere. Why was there confetti there? On the desk. They were just holding buckets of gr- green fluorescent confetti for a for a certain occasion there was going to be a tribute to the early days of randy savage's promos on this show but it didn't they ruined the confetti it was going to happen okay well bray wyatt then throws a toolbox into the ring and normally i fucking how oh, now it's a garbage match but i would have loved if he'd ever used it 
But he didn't. I didn't see him take anything out of the toolbox. He sold almost nothing. He didn't take any bumps. None of his work stands out. And then L.A. Knight gets a glowing fluorescent kendo stick and hits him two or three times with it. And Wyatt responds to that by just grabbing him and hitting his finish. One, two, three. What the? And, it, it, and that was it. it. That was the match. And then, while L.A. Knight is selling, Bray Wyatt goes in the corner and puts another horror movie mask on and then turns around and starts menacing. You can't call it chasing because there was not a lot of running, just menacing L.A. Knight. And L.A. Knight keeps backing up and out of the ring and down the aisle at the same time he's hitting this goofy fucker with this kendo stick and Bray Wyatt is not selling any of them. He just keeps progressing forward and finally they get to the back of the arena and Bray Wyatt puts the mandible claw on L.A. Knight and fucking puts him out and rolls him off the stage or whatever they're on. You can't see, there. he's on a crash pad, which they're trying not to shoot because it's a fucking crash pad. And I'm thinking, my God, I've just thought they've, might as well, why not piss his mouth while he's down there? They beat him flat, and then the guy sells nothing when he's hitting him over the head with a stick, and then he puts the claw on him and fucking shoves him off into something. I'm thinking, what the fuck? And then there's Captain Howdy on the top of whatever the set dressing was, 20 feet in the air, and he does an elbow drop off this thing out of camera view, supposedly onto L.A. Knight, but obviously yeah, Nowhere onto, near L.A. Knight. Not only nowhere near him, but onto a crash pad that actually goes poof. When they land on it and you see the, the guy's feet kind of fly up like he's bounced on the bouncy castle. He's in the fucking, <laughs> he's at a kid's birthday party in the bouncy castle. And then Pyro shoots off when he lands the elbow. And then at the top of the thing that he's jumped off of the puppets, the pig and the, the ocelot and the duck billed platypus, whatever they are appear. I never thought I'd say this. L.A. Knight was better off as Max Dupree. What? Uh, he certainly could have used the help of Mansois and uh, Soiree or whatever their names are. Well, and and not, not to mention Minaj. I'd have called Minaj in here for for help on that. Are the pe- when are the fans going to turn on this? I mean, some people already are. We hear it constantly. Man. But I'm talking about the rank and file... WWE fan, when are they going to say, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. It's fucking goofy. The matches suck. The booking sucks. The stipulations suck. And this guy sucks. I can't believe the amount of money they pay this guy and they let him get away with all this shit. This is the first match he's had in months. Bad segment after bad segment on SmackDown. LA Knight has done as well as you can considering the limitations that are in abundance here. But this guy, this is why I told you early on when you said, let's see what he'll do when he came back. He said, no, we know what he'll do. He can't work. There's always something. I saw a match where there were red lights, 
I saw a match where there were flames. I saw a match where there were worms in the ring. It's always something like that. And then he kills the person he's working with, so they need forever to recover if they even get a chance. I would like to play you if you don't mind, because I know you didn't stay up. I couldn't go to bed after this. <laughs> I know you didn't stay up and watch the Royal Rumble press conference that WWE did. Very, very different than the AEW media scrums. I'll tell you that. Anybody getting a fight? No fights. Wrestlers are in and out in a couple minutes. And um, for the most part, no hard hitting questions. I guess no one in that room wants to stand up and be the one who has WWE fan. Because it can't be just media. I think it has to be media and some fans. So I think if you ask the wrong thing, some of them may boo you or something. <laughs> well, let's hear what Bray Wyatt had to say about his performance at the Royal Rumble. Well, I feel incredibly satisfied now, you know, all the buildup and all the, I, I think most people don't understand all the time and, and the, the pressure that goes into these kind of things, all the thought. What? So now it's like a really wonderful feeling, but it's, you know, it's been a wild week. It's been a really wild week, but it, the payoff is now. <clears throat> Let me stop it there before we go to the next question. The time and the thought, and the, it was like no thought was put in this. This was a shitty match with bad lighting and a rotten finish and a goofy angle, and it didn't last very long, and nobody looked good. They should have had Naomi return. Remember, she used to wear the outfit that would glow in the dark? Oh. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been amazing if all of a sudden she danced to the ring in the middle of this? Uncle Howdy wouldn't have even, even known what to do. But let's hear more from Bray Wyatt. Back row. They're going to the back row. Hi, Bray. They're going to the back. From comicbook.com. Uh, one of the things, too, tonight, it was a lot going on, but there was also some messages sent Alexa Bliss's way, and that always seems to kind of interact with your world. What can you tell us about that bridge that you're building there? Let me just stop right there, because, again, this is a press conference after a wrestling event. I'm not expecting Woodward and Bernstein here, but... Even if you ask that question, you think that's a good question to ask, what do you think he's going to say? Oh, well, here's the booking. Here's what's yeah, going to happen. Yeah. Here's exactly what we're thinking. Well, I think that me and Alexa are just kind of connected forever, no matter what. It's just kind of the way it's gone. And where it leads, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. No one knows. But I feel like it's there will be something at some point, and it will be memorable. I'm sure of that. <laughs> It'll be something at some point. Right here, second row, you, sir. I'm going to the second row. Elliot Greenberg from Wrestling Inc. in the UK. Uh, how do you think people will regard this very unique time in wrestling history? That's an interesting question, man. I think people there's 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 some people that that like new concepts and, and people that take risks and things. And then there's people that don't just because they don't, you know, it's a sport to some and it's a show to others. But I think the beautiful thing about wrestling, this industry is that there's something for everyone. And I've always kind of prided myself on the fact that, you know, I'd, I'd be willing to take risks and do things that no one's ever done. Because if, in my opinion, if you're not willing to do that, then what are you doing here? You know, it's, it's about kind of leaving a legacy. What are you doing there? And, I would do pretty much anything, especially if no one's ever done it before, because I know that people would notice it. And it's well, if you want to know which wrestler is going to be fucking a cow on TV, because it's never been done, it'll be Bray Wyatt. 
No, actually, I've seen that before. It was a German video with subtitles. But here's an idea. How, why don't he go out in the parking lot and squat down and give birth to a 27-pound flaming porcupine? Nobody's ever done that either. So, again, I wanted to play you some of this audio because when he first came back, you and I talked about it. You were a little optimistic. There were rumors that we had talked about, whatever, two years ago, that it was mostly Vince, that he was kind of forced to do a lot of Vince's things that ruined whatever the original intent was for the Bray Wyatt series of characters. When you hear him actually explain, I don't know if philosophy is the right word, but his protocol, his uh, where his mind is at going into these things, what do you think? Because, I mean, this is really the divide. This is not, the House of Black isn't as egregious as this, but the whole, we call it spooky wrestling, whatever it is, the idea that wrestling should be a canvas beyond a sport that should also have elements of other TV shows that, for whatever reason, these people think need to be on wrestling. Yes, and that's the problem, and that's why this guy's a drizzling shits, because he thinks that. <laughs> and, and a lot of these other fucking assholes think that, too. They want to be video game characters. They want to be horror movie stars. They want to get booked in C-level horror movies, remakes of shit that was actually good that some fucking moron's going to take and ruin for everybody else that liked that kind of thing. These people are ruining wrestling for us. They don't want to be wrestlers. If you don't want to be a wrestler, you don't want to do the shit that wrestlers have done before. Do something else. Don't get in fucking wrestling. That's my advice or wish or fervent hope that whether you want to be in fucking, what it was that, Final Fantasy 14 with Seraphim and Serabim, or you want to be a goddamn, you know, Rob Zombie horror movie reject, remake reject, don't clutter up the fucking wrestling business. There's reasons why people have not done most of the things that Bray Wyatt has done before because they're fucking stupid and they're the shits as applied to wrestling. So uh, I'm, I'm painting this guy with the same brush as twinkle toes and some of these performance artists and the fucking, the pizza maker and pockets and whoever the fuck else is that. Okay. We'll just, we can't do this right. We can't make this believable, and nobody really is going to care about us as personalities, as wrestlers, so we'll do something so over-the-top goofy that the people that like to laugh at this shit anyway will enjoy it. Well, fuck all of you. You know what? He's a little worse, because you could work with a Kenny Omega or the Young Bucks and not be completely destroyed coming out of it. We've heard rumors or whispers yeah. in the past about maybe Randy Orton or Rollins or different people who had a difficult time recovering from working with Bray Wyatt. If you were a top guy there, would you want to work with him? Forget no. about the gimmicks and everything else. No one comes out of working with him any stronger. He kills everyone. Yes, no, you look like a blithering dipshit when you get out of the ring with this guy. He kills everybody he comes in contact with. So I hope the merchandise he sells is worth it to him. But I'd, if I was booked against him, I'd call in fucking sick. Anyway, speaking of calling in sick, I called in sick for the next match, which was Bianca Belair against Alexa Bliss, and I've had enough possessed people, and I'm not going to watch this Lexus Bliss to pretend to be a wrestler again. 
So what happened? Jim, at various points in life, we all need a break. And I like Bianca Belair, and I needed a break, and I wasn't going to watch. I'm on an Alexa Bliss flan. flan. I'm on a flan of hers or a fan of hers. And uh, I decided to use this as a chance to go heat up a knish in the kitchen. Heat a what? A what? A knish. The hell is that? You know exactly what it is. You've been to a New York deli. I've never ordered a knish or a kebab or a hassenpfeffer either. Well, that's three different restaurants we're talking about here. But anyway... My intent was to come back and You didn't on, tell me what the Kanish was. What is, what is, I've, at delis, I get like Rubens and sandwiches and things. What is a Kanish? Well, a square Kanish, which is what I prefer. Imagine mashed potatoes, the most delicious mashed potatoes in a square form with a hard, not hard, but a crust, a shell that keeps everything inside that you can make toasty if you want, and I want it, that you can put mustard and also, oh, it's delicious. It's the best. You want some? So is, is the shell, is it deep fried? You could if you really wanted to. That doesn't sound half bad, deep fried mashed potatoes. And it's a big thing. Of course, there are also circle knishes or round knishes, I should say. And I don't like those at all. I think they are terrible. Well, it seems like those would be easier to hold in your hand. Well, you don't want to hold it in your hand. You need a fork. At least a fork. Maybe even a knife. Oh, I thought I was getting the idea you were just eating it like a softball. No, it's like bigger than a softball. Oh, is it? Is it as big as a bread box? Are we going to talk about porn again? What about a volleyball? All right. Speaking of porn, the Women's Royal Rumble. That has nothing to do with porn. I was about to say, finishing the sentence has nothing to do with porn, but it was up next. See, you wouldn't let me get. Uh... All right. I'm going to. Again, I see Rhea Ripley number one. And I'm just going to tell you the way this transpired. Because you wanted me to watch this thing and anyway. Oh, no, it's going to be great. I see. I didn't Rhea say Ripley. it was going to be great. I said it would be worth you reviewing. Worth you reviewing. I see Rhea Ripley, number one. And okay, and she's coming out. She's selling her ribs from the attack by Beth Phoenix, but she's still coming out with game face. I'm thinking, well, at least she's obviously not going to win it because she's at number one here. But maybe they'll let her be in long enough to acquit herself and i've started watching but listen to the next three girls in Liv morgan is the one she starts with dana brooke emma i didn't realize dana brooke was still there i didn't realize dana brooke was even still alive i haven't heard that name in ages uh emma it wasn't emma peel so i didn't care and then Shayna Baszler. At that point, I, I wrote, I wish somebody would hit me in the head so I can see some stars. Here is my idea. When did they start having the Women's Royal Rumble along with the men's? How long ago? How many years? Ooh, three or four years, maybe. Oh, good God. What they should have done was what Dusty did with the Bunkhouse Stampede Battle Royals and the Manager's Bunkhouse Stampede. Because Dusty, every December, all the big events would have a 20 or a 24-man or whatever bunkhouse stampede battle royal. But Dusty in 89, this is one of the last things he booked before he was gone. Or no, it was 88, I'm sorry. It was 88. On, in Atlanta and Greensboro and I think another place or two, 
because he realized he had like seven managers. There was me, there was J.J. Dillon, Gary Hart, Paul Jones, Paul Heyman, Paulie Dangerously, rather, uh, Oliver Humperdinck. And so on those shows, he booked a manager's bunkhouse. And since me and Humperdick were the only two baby faces and poor Hump was being used underneath at that point, I won by default. So I had to win all the bunk out manager's bunkhouse stampede matches. But there was only seven of us. You were in and you were out. It wasn't like the goddamn men's bunkhouse stampede where there was 20 or 25 of them with all the top stars because people actually wanted to see that. Maybe the people wanted to see the manager's bunkhouse for about seven to nine minutes, which is what it lasted. So if they've got to have a women's Royal Rumble, put 15 of them in there because you haven't got 30 good women to begin with. <laughs> you got 30 women, not 30 good ones. So at least if you put 15 in at half an hour is an eternity in some cases, but it would be enough for a women's Royal Rumble match, this thing was an hour and five fucking minutes or whatever. And then after Shayna Baszler, number five, Bailey, number six, they kind of like Bailey. Or yeah, I know she's a heel. They're they're interested. Bailey's kind of over. But then here comes B Fab. And then they've yeah. given up on her too because she got in Rhea Ripley had dumped her in about 13 seconds. They gave her and, like 15 seconds to shine. Well. That's probably yeah. how they sold it to her. You go in there yeah. for like 30 seconds, you kill everyone, and then you get thrown on your head. Yeah, you're going to look like a world beater for about 22 seconds. And then here we go, Roxanne Perez, Dakota Sky, EO Kai. No, you're getting those names completely mixed up. What? Dakota Kai and EO Sky. What'd I say? Dakota Kai and EO. No, you said Dakota Sky and EO Kai. That's what I said. Dakota Kai and EO Sky. You said EO Kai and Dakota Sky. Kai and Sky. No, you said Sky and Kai. Well, well, no, well, it could be Sky and Kai or it could be Kai and Sky. It depends on which one comes first. I think you had established on the show it was Kai and Sky. You don't say, oh, look, it's uh, Davis and Franken. Number 11 was Natalia, not Costello and Abbott. <laughs> or Hardy and Laurel. How about Johnson and Olsen? Allen and Burns. The Ritz brothers. I guess that works either way. Number, t number 12 was Candace LaRue. Lorraine. Candace LaRue. Her too. Number 13. She's about was as over as her husband. Zoe Stark. Number 14, Zia Lee. Am I, I'm Can, serious. Me, it's been a half an hour. I will stop you because I enjoyed the match. I will stop you. I will stop you. I enjoyed the match. I enjoyed the match. And I may get the name wrong. I think it was Roxanne Perez from NXT. Was super impressive in here and really good. So I want to, while you're just killing everyone and blowing I past know, this thing, it, I want to point out someone who stood out for someone who I think a lot of fans there weren't aware of and they were reacting to her because she was she, so good. She was, she was very fiery and, and she, but, and, and I would watch some of this, but then I'd, I'd rub Harley's belly or I'd look at, 
a magazine, or I'd get distracted, or I'd have to piss, or, uh, you know, but finally, and point is, fifth, number 15, number 15, half an hour in Becky Lynch, and the people woke up, because this had been brutal in terms of star power, and <laughs> Becky Lynch gets in the ring, within two minutes, they had not only stopped her, but chucked her over the fucking desk into the crowd. Am I lying? No, you're flying. Well, I guess and, you wouldn't be flying. You're telling the truth. And she was there for what? Next five minutes or so? You didn't see her again. And then we continue with the parade of the irrelevant and or immaterial. Tegan Knox, Oscar. Piper Dewdrop. See, let me stop you right there. Oscar showing up was a big moment for the fans there. She had a new look, new hairdo. She looked as much like the Great Muda in 1989 as Muto ever has. And Dewdrop came back. Did with, she? Did she appear uh, as part of the uh, Great Muda Bye Bye show? No, I do not believe. I just dropped something. I do not believe she was on the Bye Bye Muda show. And then Dewdrop. They brought her in as Piper Niven. They'd gotten rid of Dewdrop, which everyone admitted was kind of an embarrassing name and gimmick for someone who had shown a little bit more in NXT and before she got signed. And there's a small but a interesting step in the right direction, dropping a bad gimmick. And the fans reacted to her. You reacted Tamina. by pressing fast forward. Tamina, no one. Tamina was number 19. Followed by Chelsea Green, Zelina Vega, Raquel Gonzalez Rodriguez Mascaras. She got a nice pop. She And she gets over, and she's got that fucking look, and she's strong, and she's tall. Again, you know, there, there'd be a heck of a tag team match out of this 30-woman, or several good singles matches. You got Rhea Ripley. You got Bailey, although they've diminished Bailey badly. Bailey badly. You've got Becky Lynch, Raquel. We're 22 in, and those are the people that I've picked that I would like to see work. Here comes Mia Yim. I know Mia. She's a nice girl. They've done nothing with her. Number 24 was Lacey Evans, who got in and basically tried to beal one of the girls, and it got off kilter, and so the first time she laid hands on somebody, tried to throw her across the ring, it was all fucked up. And then, number 25, we got a surprise. Michelle McCool, who was in the front row, comes over the rail and joins the match. Um, Whatever makes The Undertaker happy. I, what is Trish Stratus doing? Where was Lita? Where I'm, I'm thinking of huge female names of times gone by that could have replaced Chelsea Green and Can Candy LeRae. Well, Chelsea Green wasn't a problem because she's someone who hasn't been there, so it was a little bit of a surprise before she got eliminated five seconds later. <laughs> but, you know, if you have Lita and Trish Stratus come back every Rumble, it doesn't mean anything anymore, and I think they've... At least Lita was, I think, in last year's. But well, Lita, Lita's been around. I haven't seen yeah. Trish in a while. I don't know. Um, nevertheless, uh, after Michelle McCool, number 26, Indy Hartwell. 
Number 27, Sonia Deville. Good old Cruella. I like her. Number 28, Shotzi. Number 29, Nikki, don't call me ass cross. And finally, number 30, it was a surprise. All right. Nia Myhole came back. And you mean, I was about to say, you mean Nia Yim. You mean Nia Jax. Nia Yim. Not Nia, Nia Jax. She's famous for screaming my hole. And she was there to fill the Andre, the giant role. Cause all the girls try to gang up on her and she pushes them around because she's a fucking freezer with legs and a head. And then she was there to get slammed by Ripley. And then thank you for coming Nia before she was able to injure anybody. So now all the women are in, and we see that out of 30 women in the WWE, or 30 of these women, because Charlotte wasn't in it, Bianca wasn't in it, but there's a couple other, but you got Rhea Ripley, Kana Bailey, Becky Lynch, Raquel, and that's the ladies that, and if Lacey Evans, I don't even know what to say. That are the that are the number of ladies in this match that will ever be in any kind of main event position on a big show in a singles match or a title match. And and anybody care. That's the list right there. So Rhea and Oscar and Liv Morgan, she stayed till the end. That little pixie. The little sprite. They end up on the apron. Oscar tries the mist. Rhea ducks. Liv gets the mist in the face. Rhea knocks Oscar off to the floor and then head scissors Liv off uh, to the floor as well and won the thing. So she was in there for an hour and whatever, two minutes. At least they recognize she's their female superstar of the future. We know that now that they're not blind to this and that they realize what we have for a while. She is the shit. But you know, you know, I know it didn't need, they didn't need an hour for this. I know you fast forwarded through a lot. I don't know how much you would have seen, but watching her in this match, watching the way she sells everything, she really is maybe the best we've seen. I mean, you know, she's young and she hasn't done a lot yet, but she works like a guy. Man, she's got like all she's got it down. Rhea Ripley yeah. is really good. The only problem I have with her is with with her ability to sell shit and blah, 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 is that sometimes when she's in with one of these girls, it just, it just doesn't work because their shit is not good and she's selling it anyway. It makes her look bad. I cringe at that. I would keep her dominant over most of the field and only have her really be competitive with the Charlottes and the Biancas and the Beckys and a few other people you can count on. But she's, she's got everything. You'd prefer a dominant Rhea? I think a lot of men would prefer a I, uh, I think, uh, well, absolutely, as dominant as she can possibly be over all of those other young ladies on video. I'll okay. pay a subscription fee. All right. Are we ready now for the main event of the Royal Rumble? And I must say, again, I like the Royal Rumble match. 
I didn't like the valley in the middle, which was the girls' Royal Rumble, the pitch black extravaganza. They ought to call it piss black. And the, you know, Alexis Bliss that we didn't watch, or I didn't watch, but it, they're, they're bookending the thing. They're going to end strong. We're going to see what happens with Kevin Owens and Roman Reigns. And Owens obviously out there going it alone. Roman's got Paul Heyman and Sami Zayn at ringside with him. So what's going to happen? And again, we're in hindsight here. We've seen some of the feedback from this. The match was last night, obviously, as we're recording this. People loved the ending that we will describe, and people loved the idea that this is progressing and et cetera. The only criticism I have on the match itself is, again, did it have to be that long to get to everything? Have to? They keep Brock short and sweet, but everybody else has to prove they can go 30 minutes bell to bell. And I'm not sure it was called for here. Because everybody knew that Kevin Owens was not going to win this match and win the belt. They wanted to see what was going to happen with Sammy and the continuation of that issue. So I'm not even knocking Steen here. He works his ass off. He does good shit for a tubby fellow. I don't know how he does the frog splash off the apron to the floor and not break his kneecaps. The way he takes the spear looked pretty. Okay, yeah. That, that looked I mean, like it hurt. And he did it over the, and over. He can always, he's always been able to work and to move belying the pudgy physique, uh, you know, but anyway, when they get going into things, finally, you know, Roman, Kevin had made a comeback, but Roman stopped him again, went for the Superman punch and Owens ducked it and Germaned him. But then Roman hit the Superman punch, two count. Roman goes for the spear, hits the post instead. Owens hits a swanton, two count. You know, they're they're doing everything they can to give people the impression that he might win the thing. And the one bobble he went if you did if you hadn't seen him do this before, you wouldn't have any idea what the fuck he was doing. But Reigns, they had fought on the top rope, and Owens knocks Reigns down to the mat, and he's laying there, and Owens gets on the second rope looking at him, and he's gonna jump up and turn around. And not pick a bale of cotton, but he's going to jump up, turn around, and moonsault off the top rope and miss it because Roman is going to roll in toward the buckle. Well, when Owens jumps up and turns around, he should have been going for a bale of cotton. It would have been a softer landing because he missed landing on the top rope with one foot and fell straight backwards and landed ass first on Roman Reigns. I was like, oh my God, this could have been the big one. But he got right up, Owens did, pissed off at himself, and hit a fucking senton, and then uh, did a moonsault and missed that, and Reigns hit a spear and got a two-count. Good recovery. All kinds of notes here. Good recovery. He, he handled it somewhat professionally. And then they bumped the referee. Romans sho- shoves Owens off into the referee. And, of course, then Owens hits a powerbomb and cover, but there's no ref. So you can't just kill the baby face. He's got to have some, you know, visual affirmation of the fans that he could have won it. It's an out. It's a bitch. It's a gripe. But then finally, Roman 
ball shots Owens and tells Sammy at ringside to get a chair. And Sammy's like, oh, hey, you told me not to do anything. What should I do? No, get the goddamn chair. So he hesitated, but he got the chair. He gives it to Roman. But by that point, Owens is up and stunners Roman again, and the, or stunners him. And this time, the referee's up and gets a two count. But then Roman comes back and hits the spear and gets a two count. And Owens rolls to the floor, and Sammy's pleading with him, stay down, stay down. So the theory is Sammy doesn't want to see Roman hurt him. You know, he'd just rather see Owens stay down. And then Rain spears Owens through the barricade. And that was a that was one of the better spears through the barricade. I wish they hadn't done it 75 times, because this one was great. And he tosses Owens back in the ring, but Owens rolls out to the floor on the other side, so he can't be pinned. And that's where, again, Reigns goes out and gets Owens and does the deal where he flings him back of his head first against the steel ring stairs and twice, which looked great. Except, again, I don't know how Owens does that. And there can't be a lot of margin for error. But one would think that one really good-looking one, because it looks so good, because how could you still be conscious? But nevertheless, and then rolled him in the ring again. And then Paul Heyman starts <laughs> acknowledging Roman and groveling to him, and, oh, you're my tribal chief, and, oh, I love you. And Sammy's got that reluctant face, and he puts the one up, and people now are paying more attention to Sammy's reactions or whatever than they are really to what's going on with the match. And at that point, finally, Owens weakly and wearily swings, tries a punch, and Reigns hits the spear. One, two, three. It wasn't an exciting finish. It was an angle finish. And it's what they needed to tell the story. They didn't need an exciting finish because nobody thought Owens was going to win anyway. So instead, they do an angle finish where Owens looked competitive all the way through and did better than anybody might have hoped and prayed that he might. But in the end, Reigns spears him through the barricade, bashes his fucking melon against the steel a couple of times and spears him and pins him. It was an angle finish. It didn't need to come out of nowhere because it was what it was. What'd you think of the match thus far before we go on to the afterbirth? Good match. Fans are into it. I thought Owens, like you said, good recovery on the blown spot earlier. I thought Owens was really good in there. Even as the match is happening, the drama's kind of building around ringside. I enjoyed it. And that's uh, Owens again. I've always said he can work and he can move and he works his ass off. He doesn't dog it. He doesn't phone it in. He just, it was, God, he was, maybe it's the French Canadianism. I don't know. Just always such a pain in the ass. But nevertheless, now all the bloodline are in the ring and they've got the lays and the, you know, the celebratory flower necklaces and they pass them out to everybody. And, and one of the Usos goes to give Sammy his and Roman says, oh, hold on, hold on. Get him first. And the Usos start kicking the shit out of Owens, multiple super kicks, beating him up, blah, blah, blah. Sammy's more uncomfortable. Solo then goes over and gives uh, Owens the the big ass in the corner with a chair around his head, horse collaring him. And then Heyman brings out 
handcuffs, two pairs of handcuffs. And you know, me and Paul together, we kind of fit because he's got brand new pairs of hands, handcuffs and I've got brand new keys. I didn't know that Paul always carried handcuffs with him. I know that I always carry a handcuff key. Nevertheless, you, all, you, never, you never really need, well, I guess sometimes you need handcuffs on the sperm of the moment. But anyway, here's the thing. Again, yes, this is building up what we've all wanted to see, which is the, the bloodline's going to kill Owens unless Sammy intervenes, and what's he going to do? The decision is what we're waiting on. But God, it was so long, and nobody's trying to help. Nobody, I'm, you can make the statement that, well, Sami Zayn has no friends in the locker room. Owens was his friend. He turned on Owens with the bloodline, so nobody cared. But referees, security, an idle fucking rent-a-cop from the concession stand. The, at, at, this went on so long that at some point, and I'm sure they told him to do this, the announcers laid out. And weren't taught. So it was like everybody associated with this company had completely disappeared from the face of the earth, except what was going on in the ring. And I'm sorry, but that's all I can think about because the, uh, the uh, job one, what I got into business, the, what, what, what's the phrase that I'm searching for? The, the absolute one thing that you do above a, the first commandment is make it look like it's really happening. And no, they couldn't just do this for minutes on end to somebody on television in front of God and everybody, in front of witnesses, without somebody trying to making a token effort to try to do something and being turned away. That's part of the fucking the picture you're painting and the atmosphere you're supposed to be creating. But this is sports entertainment. And yes, I know we all wanted to see this and it was very well done from the talent perspective, but goddamn, it's still phony sports entertainment when it goes on forever like this. And nobody, the announcers aren't even bothered to say, Oh God, they've just left too. So they're killing this guy. And I'm just thinking it would be better if it was a wrestling angle, which would be some bell ringing and some people trying to get in and the bloodline are bad enough to kick him out. But, and then Roman turns around and talks to Owens for a while and goes to use the chair on him. And finally, Sammy gets in front and says, stop. And that gets the pop. But now they're, they don't have a microphone. They're using the, the floor microphone on the camera that can pick this up, but Sammy's saying, you don't need to do this. He's done. So then Roman hands Sammy the chair and says, well, then you do it. And again, this, I'm seeing this in the Superdome or in the Greensboro Coliseum, all these things happening, but in much more condensed form and with pantomime telling all the thousands of people in the building what's happening in about 10 seconds rather than all the conversation and is taken for fucking ever. And Reigns berates Sammy and wants him to use the chair on, on uh, Owens. You do it. And finally, Roman starts pie-facing him and yelling at him. Now we're getting to the meat of the matter. And Sammy has the chair. And as Roman turns around to look at fucking 
Owens, Sammy hits Roman with the chair, but across the back. Can you imagine the pop if Roman had turned around and spit on Owens and turned back around and Sammy had crowned him over the head with that fucking chair? Well, I saw other people point this out, and I thought about it. It was a throwback to when he turned on the shield. I or don't no, when, care. when Rollins turned on the shield, excuse me. I don't care. Yeah, I mean, it got a monster pop. I can't say that anything would have gotten a bigger pop. It got a monster pop. It got a big pop because that's what they've been waiting to see, but... <sighs> This whole, if you swing a chair at the head, somebody's going to say they don't allow chair shots to the head. Well, they ought to if somebody knows what they're fucking doing, both giving it and taking it. Nobody would be hurt. Bobby Fulton hit me over the head with a chair about three or four times. I didn't suffer any ill effects because he liked me and didn't want to kill me, and I knew he knew what he was doing, and I took it right. But goddamn point is, Wacky hits him with a chair, and the Usos are, what the fuck? And Jimmy super kicks Sammy and beats him up and solo spikes him and Roman says kill him and Jay's over in the corner and he won't participate. We didn't see this one coming. This is a very nice little twist. He won't participate. Not only that, but he rolls out of the ring and leaves. Walks down the the entryway with a horrible expression. He's all torn up. And so at that point, Roman wears Sammy out with the chair. Now, he hit him about 10 times. So across the back and the sides, yes. If you're going to hit somebody, don't hit him in the head 10 times. And ripped his ooze shirt off and crumbled flowers all over him. And I, I like what they did, and I'm not trying to knock it. And everybody's wanting to see this, and it's the perfect time now to kick it up for WrestleMania season. And what's going to happen? We talked about, would it be... Sammy and Owens against the Usos. But that, you know, maybe it's going to be Sammy and an Uso against another Uso. We don't know what the fuck now because of this this uh, swerve with uh, the Usos. The only thing, it was the longest angle in history of wrestling. Couldn't these things happen in with urgency and, and people in jeopardy and there's chaos going on rather than the sports entertainment angle which is milk everything incessantly and nobody will try to stop this until whenever you're finished that's the problem i had with it otherwise everybody was a box of fluffy ducks i thought it was a great match or a great spectacle at least after the match and it did take forever and that is the wwe way they're never gonna not milk something especially if vince's really pulling the strings yeah and 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 that's why i say i know that's what they do now i can't not mention it because it drives me out of my mind because i was taught the exact opposite get make the get the fucking heat make it look good make it look real and make it look like chaos and get the fuck out before you wear out your welcome and they do the opposite thing and so that i have to bring it up but at the same time we've probably i guess accepted that this is the way a lot of this is going to be these days and again, the people left, even though Sammy and Owens got beat, they got to see him finally turn on or hit or finally get his, uh, Roman got his comeuppance. I don't know how you want to see it. The Jey Uso thing puts an interesting spin on it. Unless something changes, Cody has to wrestle Roman at WrestleMania. He's a unified champion. So there, there's two nights. There's two nights of Mania. There's a lot of interesting things happening here. I mean, you don't want... It would make no sense to blow off or... They're not going to blow it off yet. They've taken so long with Roman. But to 
do too much at the Elimination Chamber. This is WrestleMania season. I mean, what do you do to propel this? Do you think you need to propel all of this to Mania, or do you shift the focus with Roman to Cody to get to Mania? Well, you got to do both. Because that's going to be the match for the title, Cody and Roman. But at the same point, Sammy is not only has this thing gotten over and he's so popular and people have been so interested, but you've got to have Sammy and Owens and Usos and Solo and whatever else involved in some fashion. So you're you're building both. And now you do the tribal council because now you got Jey Uso. Well, th- there, there you go, and they might be able to do that, uh, that they were going to do originally instead of the trial of Sami Zayn, the tribal council, and bring the previous generations in. But, you know, Roman is, is going to be, I would think, telling the wise man and the rest of his crew here, what the fuck, now I've got to deal with Cody while I got Sammy running around trying to fucking, you know instigate shit, whatever. So it's going to be a multifaceted thing. I don't know where they're going. And I like that part of it because I can't figure this one out. Usually either we figure it out or we don't care enough to try to figure it out. But in this case, I'm trying and I can't figure it out where they're going. So like I said, I liked everything except the longest angle in, in wrestling. Everything they did was great. I'd have tightened that, that up a bit and, and some more, chaos and urgency and jeopardy and etc in these things because again the announcers laid out so the uh, remember in the 80s when vince was adamant that you had to send the people home happy on a pay-per-view this closed with the two baby faces lying unconscious and ravaged in the middle of the ring and the announcer's not saying a goddamn word and you didn't even see a doctor sliding in to fucking check on him they just left him laying there can you imagine if they'd have covered a, a a live sporting event like a football game and the quarterback gets tackled or sacked and is just unconscious and they go off the air with the guy laying on the fucking field and nobody's even checking about him? These are the things that drive me crazy. Well, these are the things that happen in WWE, but by and large, a widely well-received Royal Rumble, and we are now on the road to WrestleMania, Elimination Chamber. I'm more well-received. I widely well-received this Wumble than I have many others. I will say that, though. I I give it a a firm snap and a half up. Well, there you go, and that was the longest angle in wrestling history. This, of course, being the longest podcast in wrestling history. Good Lord, it's Tuesday. You know what that means. Am I allowed to close this thing up? Please. Well, folks, thank you for suffering through this like we suffered through that other stuff for your entertainment. Hopefully you were entertained. If you weren't, then try us again next week and we'll take another swing at this bad boy. Until then, for Brian, I'm Jim and the Royal Rumble and all the other stuff that preceded it. Thank you. Fuck you. And bye-bye, everybody. Wednesday nights, I get to stay up late. Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate. Hey, mom, I need to watch the show. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo.
Says I'm in the key 